Good evening, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Made Radio. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to Hump Day Night, middle of the week. I hope you're doing well. FreedomMainRadio.com slash donate to help out the show. Uh, we've had a few listeners who've absconded with their donations because uh, apparently they're offended at the idea that uh, Hitler was not a great guy. Anyway, if you'd like to step in and take their place, we would love to have you on board at FreedomMainRadio.com slash donate. So without further ado... Let's move on to the callers. All right. Up first today is Brian. Brian wrote in, and his question is, is the subjective theory of value a valid claim? Are you there? Yeah. Hey, Steph. Hello. Hi. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I always get into debates about uh, value and what it is. And um, people always reference. I know a lot of uh, libertarians like to reference uh the subjective theory of value from the Austrian school. Yeah. And I don't know, I just, just knowing a little about it, uh, kind of, uh, kind of reject it. <laughs> Go on. So like, I, 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 I feel like all, all values objective. Uh, all value is objective. Yeah. Um, it's because I, I partition reality uh, such that uh, subjective things is just a subset of, of objective things. In other words, all subjective things are objective. What? <laughs> what? Sorry, you got to take when you when you end up something with uh, all subjective things are objective. I think that we are in not necessarily the easiest to comprehend land of philosophy. Yeah. This what, is, what do you mean? This is kind of like one of the things that I, I don't understand why people think they're mutually exclusive, uh, meaning that uh, something cannot be both at the same time, uh, both objective and subjective at the same time. I think uh, well, because because of the Aristotelian law of non-contradiction, right? I mean, uh, because of logic, right? So something cannot be itself and the opposite of itself at the same time, right? A number can't be both four and minus four at the same time. That's if you define it as as uh, mutually exclusive, right? It, no, the definition of subjective and objective are not exactly opposite, but certainly not the same thing, right? So subjective is uh, that which is open to my interpretation uh, or is uh, subject to my evaluation, whereas objective is something that uh, the, the measurement of which is independent of my consciousness, right? So I may say something looks brown, but there's a wavelength, right? The wavelength is objective. My subjective experience of color is different uh, than the objective measure of the wavelength of the light. Yeah. So yeah. it's not just semantics to say that subjective and objective aren't the same thing. And you no, can't I, define I, them as the same thing. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with uh, the distinction between your opinion and what an actual, uh, the measurement of an actual object is. So uh, like with your example with color, uh, there are two things there that you're referring to, your opinion of the color and the color itself. Both, to me, are objects which have you can make true and false statements about. I can determine your opinion of the color uh, just based on what you tell me, or I, I can try to determine what, uh, your opinion on the color, but it's, it's not the color itself. So when people refer wait, to Wait, value, wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. What, what do you mean you can determine my opinion of the color i can always ask you i can always lie yeah 
and I can, I can. Uh, okay, so just like you said, objective things, they don't. Really wavelength lie. won't lie. A wa- wavelength, the the, the, the well, spectrometer to, or whatever they use, the wavelength machine is not going to lie, right? Yeah, your ability to measure a wavelength is going to be limited, right? Uh, the the precision of any instrument is always going to be limited. You're never going to know the true actual wavelength. It's it's virtually impossible to know uh, within a certain uh, within a certain uh, you know unit of measurement. You know. <laughs> yes, but that's not what I'm saying. You're moving the goalpost. That the wavelengthometer is not going to lie, whereas a person can lie, right? But it won't be it won't it won't be accurate to the actual truth, right? There's oh, there's always going to be some some. Well, no, no, no. Decision. Hang on. If if no, you've got a Platonic version of the truth, or you know the Kantian version of the truth, which is that we can only know our sense data experience of things. We can't know the things in themselves. Uh, like, I can't get the perfect, exact, accurate, blah, 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 wavelength. But there is no such thing as the perfect, exact, accurate wavelength, <laughs> right? Because it's oscillating. I, I, the light is changing. The, the machine, right? You get to as close as, as, of the truth as, as humanly possible, I mean, but but saying we can never go exactly 100% north doesn't mean there's no difference between heading north and heading south, right? So that this idea that it's not 100% accurate, pure, platonic, perfect, godlike truth, which is an impossible standard, which doesn't really apply and therefore can't be a standard, doesn't have anything to do with the fact that wavelength is objective and color is subjective. So... Like, okay, so, I mean, your ability to know something, the, the the fact that an object exists doesn't depend on whether you can evaluate it or not, right? So, mm-hmm. I, I think we can safely assume that uh, when you refer to a specific, a specific beam of light and you refer to a specific cycle of it, that wavelength will have, will have some objective number that you'll probably never know to within a certain precise measurement, right? But it's, it's infinitely more precise than me saying it's brown. Because even if I'm not lying, um, <laughs> when I was a teenager, I used to work in a, um, uh, a hardware store, one of the 12 billion jobs I had <laughs> as a teenager. And there were two things, three things that were fun in the hardware store. One was cutting glass. That was cool. Uh, number two was cutting keys. It was also pretty cool. Number three was mixing paint. And man, people would come in with, like, you, you've seen those paint things, right? You know how many names they have for paint in, in the known universe? It's insane. There are thousands of names for paint, right? Uh, you know, Arctic morning glory sunrise bird crap or something. Like they have just like crazy names uh, for a diaphanous gown of the deity sunset or something, you know? And so, and, and you, you could mix this according to the instructions. There was a machine that rotated and you put the color into the, the, the different base. You usually start with white and then add a color. And you'd shake it up and <laughs> you'd, you'd, you'd open it, right? You go, oh, I love that little shaking machine. You'd open it and you'd hold the, the chit in front of the paint. And the, the person who bought the paint would say, hmm, it doesn't look the same. And it's like, I followed the instructions perfectly. It looks the same to me. To other people, it doesn't look the same. And, you know, that's fine. We could bounce a wavelength off it or whatever. But um, but the reality is that if I just say, hey, I see green, 
I mean, that could be, I don't know how many billions of wavelength spread it could be, but it's so some whatever color, light green, uh, emerald green, whatever it is that people are saying, it's still vastly less precise than a wavelength. Can we well, agree with that? Of course, I'm, I'm not talking about language. And when, when people talk about color, they're not referring to a specific specific wavelength right they're, they're, it's it's poorly defined whenever whenever people use terms they don't use them precisely right if, if <laughs> well no it's it's as precise as you can get without saying wavelength right and it, it works for the most part right uh, you know uh, I'd, I'd like to look at the red car you can say in the dealership right and now you know if there's two red cars he'll say which one or whatever right if there's some aretha franklin hot pink cadillac he'll say do you want the aretha franklin hot pink cadillac car um, and, uh, so, but, but we're really, we're drifting here, yeah, right? Because, yeah. uh, we, we're, we need to get back to the thing where you say that subjective is the same as objective. It's not the same. So when, if, if you were to call two sets the same, that means all elements of each set would be in the other. Uh, if you think about it in sets, I'm saying that subjective is a subset of objective. And and what I when I define subjective, I'm think I'm saying. Okay, hang on, hang on, slow down, slow down. Uh-huh. I, I I always hate it when people run run past with their most important statements and keep going as if they're self evident. I always get suspicious when people do that. Sorry. Okay, so you're <laughs> saying that that subjective is a subset of objective. Yes. If well, yes. It's a okay. So, so what that means, right? So if I say that uh, wolves are a subset of mammal, then yeah. all wolves are mammals, but not all mammals are wolves, yes. right? That's subset as far as I understand it. Yes. Are we in agreement? Yes. Okay. So if you're saying that, all su- uh, that subjective is a subset of objective, you're saying that all subjective is objective, but not all objective is subjective. Yes, and when I say subjective, that's not I mean- no, no, that's not correct. You can't say that all subjective is objective. So we we adopt definition bec- uh, for their utility in helping us helping it dis- helping us understand reality, right? You agree with that? No, no, yep. no, no. Forget forget understanding reality and other things. This is this is logic. Subjective oh. is not the same as objective, right? It and you can't you say that it subjective depends. is a subset of objective. It depends how you define them, right? No, this is logic. Subjective okay. is my internal experience that cannot be verified by external means. Objective is external phenomenon that can be defined by objective means. I, I think you're they're not the to, same thing. You can't say that subjective is a subset of objective. I think you're adding to the definition. Uh, you, you you added that part where I cannot determine uh, what your opinion is. I mean. Ultimately, well, no, because if you can if you can objectively determine what my opinion is, it's objective. Yes, I can always ask you. And no, no, oh, asking oh, doesn't wait. make it objective. First, Otherwise, there'd be no such thing as a court of law. They'd just go first, up to someone and say, "Did you kill this guy?" And he'd say, "No." And they'd be like, "Well, that's an objective answer first, to me." First, or he'd say, "Yes, I did." It's like, well, that can't be a false confession because subjective is objective, and we don't need any proof for anything. We first agree that objects don't rely on us knowing that they exist to exist, right? It's not dependent on, on us knowing that, knowing about it or what it is or what objective. measurement it is. I'll go one step further. Objective is everything in the universe that is still valid, true, and has existence when there are no human beings in, on, in, in the universe. Okay, so me determining what your opinion is, even if you, you know, all I have to do is get enough info. I mean, it's, 
it's possible for me to 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 obtain your opinion. It, it's something. It's an object that I can I can try to ascertain by even asking. You absolutely can. And it, look, if I write down and I say uh, I believe that the Earth is banana shaped, then you can objectively prove that I wrote down and said the, I believe that the Earth is banana shaped. You know, lie detector tests give some indication. You know, you know what I'm trying. Yeah, to get. you can get you can get closer to it. You can I, get closer I, to it. Yeah, because it's an object. It's something out there that I can try to measure. All right. But let's let's go this. And so the de- to the degree with which you can objectively establish the contents of someone's mind, they go from subjective to objective because it's something you have objectively measured. If I say to you that I had a dream about an elephant last night, I guess you could run lie detectors and so on. And you might get some answers, you know, they're not 100% and so on. But but, but it's, um, it's true. It's either true or false, right? Objectively, it's either true or false. Whatever you say, depending on how 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 specific you try to define your dream, it doesn't matter what I can prove or what I can know. Objectively, if you if you dreamt about an elephant or not, it it happened, right? You can say that about it. That's what I mean. Well, no, I mean, you can say that I said it happened, but you can't necessarily say it happened. No, even. You, you can, you can, I mean, I don't want to have to get into a materialistic argument, but it, basically I have. But there are crazy, there are crazy people who, there are crazy people who say, um, I, uh, I'm currently riding a, a, a mongoose made of fire. And you, they may well pass a lie detector test about that, but that doesn't mean that their experience is objective. It's just they're having but, a subjective psychotic episode. Yeah, but again, it. Objective things do not rely on someone knowing about it. So it, it seems like you keep relying on that to for your argument, right? Objectively, you had a dream about something, whether you even know about it or not materialistically, right? I mean, these, that's why I, I say if, if, you, if you were to just suspend like the fallacy that they're mutually exclusive and actually put it as a subset, everything starts to make sense. But well, we are kind of straying. On, you mean, on, if, you mean if, I, if I accept your argument, then your argument makes sense. Well, of course it does. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I fully agree with you that First, if I accept your argument, your argument makes sense. Unfortunately, that's just not how arguments work. Well, right? that's how definition works. All definition is, in, is internal, right? It's an internal adoption of how you refer to objects in reality. So that you just can make, so your brain can make sense of it. Oh, so you're saying if I accept your definition, then all, de- everything all, defini- all definitions are arbitrary. You agree with that? You, all you definitions define, are arbitrary. Yes. All, no. All, the dictionary is just a proposal. Of of, uh, of absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's just you and I could not have. And I'm maybe it's because of the way you use language that you feel that way. <laughs> but we couldn't have any kind of conversation if all language was arbitrary. But we've implicitly agreed to use the English language, which. But to the to the degree of technicality for this for this debate, are you, are you saying that in English the arbitrariness of language means that one day I can refer to a tree as a tree, and the next day a tree can be a blowjob? No, no. I, I mean, for instance, you gave if if you, if you were to rewind the tape and listen to your definition of subjective, you've added to the definition. That's not what you'd find in the dictionary. That's and it'd probably be different. It'd be different in a in a philosophy dictionary. Okay, let's go to the dictionary. Subjective, <laughs> existing in the mind, belonging to the yes. thinking subject rather than to the object of thought, supposed 
opposed to opposed to objective, right? The, the dictionary says subjective is opposed to objective because subjective is, quote, existing in the mind, belonging to the thinking subject rather than to the object of thought, opposed to objective. Now, opposed means not a subset of yes. objective. Yes. Now, if you want to redefine the word, then that's something you need to be honest about, right? So you need to come to me and you need to say, Steph, I'm going to work to redefine, to overturn one of the central pillars of philosophy, which is the distinction between what occurs in the mind and what occurs in reality. I'm going to take a radical approach. It's very much against the way that the language is used, but you didn't do any of that, right? Okay, so... No, no. Do, do you know that you're radically redefining the term? No, because there, there are several sources to a definition. I'm not sure what source you're referring to right now. And we, we'd have to, we'd actually have to look at both definitions to okay, see. Okay, no, listen, I got no problem. I got no problem. If you can find me a definition of subjective that says it is a subset of objective, I would really be happy to, to hear that. No, I, I have get, you found such a definition? No, you get that from the definite, probably the definitions of both of them. But I, I didn't think I'd have to get this you know, literal, but, uh, okay, so what, what I don't know what you mean by literal, the, the, the standard definition is that subjective, a subjective and... is, is, is opposed to objective. Yeah. Now, if you want to redefine subjective as a subset of objective, then you need to put like, you need to put that forward up front and not yes. just kind of steamroll people with your opposite definitions as yes, if they're just yes. like, that's sneaky. I agree. Tell me you're going to redefine the language. I Tell me you're going to redefine what the dictionary says. I, I didn't know what, what your, uh, what's, what your source is, right? Because when I, when I, when I quickly Googled subjective, I didn't get that, I didn't get that one, I didn't get that definition where. What definition did you get? Uh, there's alternate ones, right? There's one. There's okay. One. Read, read me an alternate one from a, uh, a, a, a standard dictionary. So what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is just Google subject. Uh, ours came. Perfect. This one came from dictionary.com, which uh, I I believe doesn't have a K in it, and therefore doesn't involve blowjobs. But go on. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to dictionary reference, which is like the first link on uh, the Google search. Yeah. So there's 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 multiple definitions, right? No, I get it. I get it. Okay, I think I think this is the one you, you're referring to. Existing in the mind belong to the thinking subject rather than the object of thought. Opposed to object. Okay, so. Okay, so, so you're wrong. <laughs> no, sorry. You may want to redefine the word, but you're wrong about your use of the word. It is not a subset. Now, you can say, well, I want to radically redefine subjective and make it a subset of objective. But that's something you need to rigorously do. And you can't just say that it's true. Okay. So you at least understand that according yeah, no. to the existing common use of the word, you are incorrect in saying subjective is a subset of objective. I, I understand that. But first. No, no. We'd do you admit that you are incorrect in saying that subjective is a subset of objective? I'm not trying to bust your balls here. I just we need to have some reality in the conversation. According to that definition, yes. Right. Okay, I'm willing to be patient. If you want to weasel and find <laughs> another definition, I will sit here and stare at the camera until you find a definition that says subjective is a subset of objective. Okay, then. Okay, so no, take your time. Honestly, truly, take your time to truly prove me wrong. To make sure that. Everything is consistent. You'd have to you'd have to Google the definition of objective, and actually just verify, right? Go ahead. Like it's actually 
No, nothing go ahead. Subject, nothing you, subject uh, can be object. You have this argument, <laughs> and so I'm willing to be patient. Clearly, now, what's obvious, though, is that you have this argument while, without having checked the definitions of the word. No, I think I did. Which is pretty, just, pretty suspicious behavior, you know, and I'm, I'm just kind of to give you this annoying rigor, right? I think I did. It's that, just, I, I think I, I may have done it on another source, maybe an, an actual dictionary. So th- there's, you're going to get some variation between definitions, right? I mean, yeah, you're going to get some variations in the dictionary. Because I... I but, you absolutely, you're going to get some variations of language. No, I have no... Pro- I have that no doesn't pro- mean I, that I, you're going to find that <laughs> subjective isn't a subset of objective. Yeah, I have no problem. I have no problem uh, decla- uh, redefining the term if I have to. But just... I'm just but you just don't make, even know that you're redefining the term. That's the problem. Well, I thought I did. I'm not sure what I was referencing before. Okay, so just give me just, just give uh, me some benefit no, of the no doubt. Results. We googled <laughs> subjective is a subset of objective, and there's no results found. Now I get oh. that Google is not all philosophy, and if you want to take on the task of defining subjective as a subset of objective, you could try and find a way to do that. I think you won't be able to do that because they're not the same thing, right? And uh, um, and and the reason why this is important is. I mean, I've got this whole introduction to philosophy series on YouTube and uh, uh, on the podcast feed, which says that the whole purpose of philosophy is to recognize that it is the mind that makes mistakes. Subjective, sub, uh, subjective experience, subjective thought, subjective evaluation contains the capacity for error. Yes. Objective reality does not contain the capacity for error. So if you wish to say things which are true and valid and right and and uh, proven, then you need to align your subjective experience with objective reality, which is why I'm an empiricist and why I believe uh, in the supremacy of reason, because those are principles. Empiricism means to check your thoughts, your theories against empirical reality, the basis of the scientific method which is you have a hypothesis, you test it against empirical reality. And in any conflict between the products of the mind and what occurs in reality, it is the products of the mind which must give way, which are automatically conceived to be false. Like if I come up with a theory that says the moon should should come out of my armpit tomorrow morning and the moon doesn't, I don't get to say, well, my theory is correct. The moon just screwed up, right? We would say, well, my theory is not correct because that's not how it's going to, uh, to happen. So... The whole basis, I believe, of the entire discipline that I am dedicating my life to is to take the principles of objectivity and apply them to people's subjective thoughts and experience so that people don't say, well, I do believe there's a giant invisible snow spider sitting on my head shitting thoughts into my brain, but you align your thoughts with objective reality through empiricism and objective principles through rationality. And so... The, the capacity of the mind to err, to make, to, to, to have mistakes, to, to make mistakes, is entirely why philosophy is needed. And the only way we know for, that, that a mind has made a mistake is with reference to reason and empiricism. And so the distinction between subjective experience and objective reality is the whole point of philosophy. So when you say they're not really that different or they're not different to one subset of the other – just so you know where I'm coming from, you're saying there's no such thing as philosophy. I I mean, the beginning part of the beginning part of the 
that that statement there uh, is why the whole reason I called, right? Uh, just going back to the the whole idea of uh, value or, or in, in terms of a good uh, value of a good. Uh, this is this is kind of like my argument why why I I, I propose that subject the subject of theory of value is kind of ridiculous because it's saying that your opinion is actual reality right um well first of all ridiculous is not an argument and you know there's a lot of very smart people who have made this case and if you're going to stand there after this intellectual performance <laughs> so far and tell me that people like Ludwig von Mises and uh, people like Hayek and uh, people like um, uh, uh, all the other thinkers uh, uh, who have put this argument forward, that they're just ridiculous. But And you're in such an elevated intellectual position to call them ridiculous after not getting the dictionary definition right. You are maybe sounding smart to yourself, but you don't look smart to other people. Uh, I understand. I understand your perspective. I understand how that can seem, um, given not enough time to uh, listen to my case. But uh, uh, as far oh, as I've been listening, I, oh no, no, I, I understand. I understand the technical. Uh, okay, let, let's technical. Uh, let's just skip over the ridiculous I, thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's fine. It's fine to be scornful of other thinkers. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But you really have to make the case. If you put the yeah. scorn before the if you put the cart before the horse, so to speak, you know, if if you want to be scornful and call other people's arguments ridiculous, fine. But you've got to earn that right yeah, to call you, them But you actually you've actually already argued for my case, right? The fact that you're wrong about about reality when you ha- when your opinion is so your opinion which is which what I claim is the only thing that is subjective, right? So if you if you accept my definition, and I'm redefining the term subjective here to be a subset of objective, and I define subjective as anything determined by the mind solely, right? Things that are determined by a mind is what I call subjective objects. Anything to do with a, an object in reality is objective to me. That That's how I define objective. And so now they, they work together, one as a subset of the other. So taking this definition, your opinion of a value or, or the utility of a good to you can be wrong. Just like you say, uh, opinion is not reality. Sometimes it can match. Sometimes it, it, it doesn't. But the fact that you can be wrong shows that they're not the same. And that's what I'm trying to make the case for. The subject of objects, your opinion of stuff, refers to an object, a measurement of an object, of the value, in other words. And this thing can be wrong. So the, this whole idea of subjective value is totally kind of erroneous when you look at it that way. Wouldn't you agree? You kind of make, you no, kind of, no I'm, I'm really working to follow. If I understand it correctly, you're saying that if your goal relates to an object which is objective, your goal is also objective. In other words, if I want to climb a mountain, the mountain is objective, and therefore my desire to climb the mountain is objective. Well, again, if, if you accept my definition, everything subjective is objective, right? The fact that no, no, I can't just if you accept my definition. No, just no. accept, just accept it. For no, the, I'm not okay, accepting your right? definition. That would be it, irresponsible of me no, because you. I'm asking. You can't. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm reading. If, if, hey, if I accept that two and two make five, some pretty crazy shit can go down in engineering, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to no, do yeah, it. Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? So 
if all definitions are arbitrary, uh, personally, on an individual basis, you, you accept the definition arbitrarily uh, based on how, how no, well it, don't, don't accept that either. Don't, don't accept that either. I mean, I can understand how having arbitrary definitions serves your case because you're defining subjective in a way that is the opposite of what its common use is. So I can understand that you'd like to convince me because if you can convince me that that uh, definitions are arbitrary, then I have no basis by which to reject your definition, which makes your case, whatever it is, much stronger. But I don't no, accept it, that definitions are arbitrary. Just like, just like in a, for the purposes of debate, one can adopt the other person's def, definition set just to no, continue no, with the No, argument. no, no. <laughs> I, I can argue the devil's advocate position, but I can't argue self-contradictory positions, right? Like, I, I, not I, self, if, sorry, See, that's the thing. So, okay, so if... Once, so to prove the guy wrong, you adopt their definition and deduce a contradiction, and that's how you. But prove no, if the definition is contradictory, then you can't go anywhere with it. It's not. It's only contradictory in the sense that you just looked it up and it doesn't match that one. And no, it, no, it's it's, so it's, just, it's just opposed to. Let me let me explain to you how it's contradictory. Mammals are sorry. Um, wolves are a subset of mammals, right? Yeah. Therefore, as a subset of mammals. Wolves cannot be the opposite of mammals. See, here's, here's no, no, no. Forget that. You, you're saying no, put you the see, other person's you're, viewpoint you're, on. You're Do you accept a, that definition? You're, you, you, no, you're using a poorly defined opposite. You, you can either say complement, which is has a specific meaning in set theory. So complement. Okay, let, let me put it to you this way. Let me put it to you this way. Wolves are a subset of mammals in that wolves are warm-blooded and mammals are warm-blooded. All wolves are warm-blooded, but not all warm-blooded animals are, are wolves, right? That is a subset. It's a slice of the pie, right? Yes, yes. Now, I cannot also say that the definition of a wolf is a cold-blooded animal and say that it is a subset of mammals. If all mammals must be warm-blooded, yes, then if a wolf is cold-blooded, it cannot be a subset of mammals. You're, con you're contradicting. So, yes, you, you're contradicting yourself because you're adopting two, defini two, two definitions at the same time. When exactly. You, so here's the thing: when you arbitrarily accept the other person's definition, you drop the other other definition. No, no. But you see, you're <laughs> saying to me that wolves are a subset of warm-blooded animals, and wolves are cold-blooded at the same time. And you say to me, "Well, Steph, if you just accept that, then no, no. whatever. It's like, but I, but that's still contradictory. I can't I'm, accept I'm, it. I'm not saying the latter." See, uh, that's the thing. You're, you're holding on to the, the connotative definition while, while trying to accept oh, mine. That's what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're looking, you're looking online, you're looking online and looking at a, a definition that says they're, they're mutually exclusive. And then I'm telling you to redefine it, but you're still holding on to that definition you're looking at. You got to let that go, right? No, see, holding on is another insulting argument. Like I just have some weird emotional hang up to things making fucking sense. Right. Saying I'm holding on and I refuse to let go. This is like bullshit girl guide emotional manipulation 101. No, you are making a contradictory statement. And no, then you're no, saying, no. well, Steph, if you just let go of consistency <laughs> and no, rationality no. and common sense and philosophy and definitions and common sense and logic, my position makes sense. It's okay, like, so well, like, yeah, I guess like, so. But like math, right? I don't know what that means anymore. I, I can I can redefine an even number to be. Uh, something not divisible by two, right? I can totally redefine it, uh, but then I, I can I can say that all numbers not divisible by two are even, and and so when you accept that, 
it takes on all the the characteristics and logical conclusions of an no, odd but, number. Oh, no, what you're no, what you're doing is saying I can call a wolf a giraffe, and if you accept that the word giraffe means wolf, yeah, then blah, yeah. blah blah blah. But that's not what you're doing. I, you're that's saying, what I am doing. I'm saying let, let go of wolves, this all, subs- all mammals are warm-blooded. Wolves are subsets of mammals, but wolves are cold-blooded. No, right. I, you're not just changing the name of something. You're changing its definition when you say that subjective is a subset of objective. You're yes. changing a definition to something that is contradictory to the concepts of that's objective. What, that's what I'm doing. But what, what, what you're doing, you're still holding on to. The, no, no. You say holding on again, man. I'm cutting you off you, because that is a that is a that is an emotionally manipulative argument. Okay, so when I when I when I redefine it, so you're you're accepting my redefinition. Is that correct? Or are you? At, no. I mean, how many times do I say I don't accept your no, redefinition? No, not it not, not with respect to the other definition, right? Just for the purposes of a debate. If I'm if I'm wrong, or it's interested. not a debate. If what you're saying <laughs> is self contradictory. So here's the thing: when someone when someone does that wolf thing, and, and uh, if I were to redefine like mammals, uh, uh, mammals as warm blooded, that's part of the definition, the criteria to define mammals. Mm-hmm. Right? If I were to do that. The, and um, and then say all mammals are also cold-blooded. Right away, that definition leads to a contradiction, right? So mm-hmm. you, you then you can say then you can say okay, that's where you cannot adopt this definition and make logical sense, right? So you haven't you you haven't allowed me to yeah you you keep holding on to the old definition. I'm trying mm. to establish a new right redefinition. You want, to, you want to try that one again? Because I don't want to cut you off, but you can't use this holding on. That is a rude thing to say. Okay, just go with me for a second. Just kind of forget you ever looked it up on the internet and allow me to redefine it and just accept my redefinition. It's just a label, right? I, I can call it... Uh, just a label? I can call it a well, quark. Everything's quark. just a label. What the fuck is the point of this call? Everything in... everything in, uh, So there's a subset of objective reality called quarks, right? <laughs> okay, so, you know, it, it's just arbitrary. So let's just call it quarks for just for a second. Then then later on, I'm going to come back and just say, take out all, word, all the word quarks and put back subjective and everything will make sense, right? It, it's just arbitrary, just... I mean, you're just messing with me here, right? No, no. I mean, you're no, not seriously just, proposing this as, a, as an exercise in thought. No. That I'm, you define a self-contradiction as logically consistent and then just go with me. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's man. only a self-contradiction if I define it as such, right? If I say, Oh, seriously, come on. Look, so if, if you I, get if, into a cab and you want to go to the airport and the guy drives the opposite way from the airport and says, well, just go with me, man, because, you know, I'm defining the airport as the opposite of the airport. What would you say? Turn around. Or let me out of here, but I'm not driving the opposite way. Yeah, because you, you, it was implied that he was using the same definition as you, right? Uh, so, so in the context but you of see, you, you are, if if you get to make up all the definitions that you want, including that self contradiction is, is consistency, then there's no debate to be had. This is the beauty because about what logic you're saying, that. you're saying, you, what you're saying to me is, Steph, I want to sit down and I want to play chess with you, but I get to determine all the legal moves on my whim for me and for you, depending on how I feel in the moment. That's not chess. If you get to make up all the definitions you want and you get to define things however you want, and there's no objective rules that we have to subject ourselves to, then whatever we're doing is not chess. Like if you say, well, I'd really like to play tennis with you. We're going to use a hand grenade. I get to call in an airstrike and release tigers. 
It's like, well, I don't know what that game is, but it's not tennis, right? And so if you want to have a debate with me where you get to define all the terms and you get to say, well, Steph, if you want rational consistency, you're just holding on to some weird emotional thing that you got to let it go and so on, then you're kind of inviting me into a game where you can make up the rules as you go along. You're not subject to any restrictions or any standards, in which case you might as well just be talking to your hand because this is not a debate. You're erasing my entire existence if you're saying, uh, Steph, you you know, I'm just going to redefine things as the opposite and just go with it. That's not true. I'm still playing by the games of logic. Uh, I'm still playing by the games of logic here, right? Definition is arbitrary. It's like a game of Plinko, right? You can set the disc, you know, for those of you who are not familiar with prices, right? You can set the disc anywhere you want, where it lands after you release it. you can't. No, see, if all definitions are arbitrary, then let's just define you as having one in your own subjective mind, and I'll move on to the next call. (laughs) No, I'm just... All, they're all arbitrary. So what on earth are we talking about? Okay. For you, the, every the, definition is arbitrary. The whole Rules don't apply, so what's the point? No, logic still applies. Definitions are arbitrary, but lo- so it's like the laws of nature, the laws of physics, right? In Plinko, where you set the disk is subjective, but when you once you release it, uh, the laws of nature take over. It's the same thing with definition. You can set definition arbitrary. The laws of logic force the conclusions, right? This is this is the structure of mathematical proof. It doesn't matter what you call something, right? I can call it quarks. Uh, and assuming that we're using English, my definition of quarks, w- w- which would be anything determined by the mind, right? Yes, but, but see, the problem is, my friend, that you are a control freak, Because (laughs) you want to be in control of the language, right? Now, we got a very clear definition that's subjective. No, no, let me finish. I let you finish your thought. Let me finish my thought, right? So you want to be in control of the definitions. And when things don't go your way logically, you insult the other person. And then you say, I'm going to define it the way that I want to. And then if I don't want to go along with this game where you define whatever you want the way you want it to, Somehow I'm closed-minded. No. If you want to use subjective and objective, you can't just redefine them to be whatever the hell you want. Like, I can't redefine mammal to include uh, the ability to swim underwater with gills, be cold-blooded, and give birth to dragon eggs, right? I mean, if you just go with me along that line, then it'll all make sense. I'm not going there. Seth, if you're you're good with logic, you, you, you can allow the person to do that. I can allow you to redefine mammals as such. Right, but then it would take on uh, the mammals would take but why, on. Why? Uh, why do you need to redefine mammals? What kind of slimy trick are you up to? No, why, why? If I say, listen, I want to talk about mammals, but I want to redefine them as reptiles, it'd be like, why? Why? Why, why the hell would we have one? That's a matter. complication. You, it, it doesn't matter. So logically, it know. does matter because it matters that you want to redefine things, and you didn't up front even know what the correct definition was of subjective versus objective. You tried to put across this definition. You said I, it was I correct. Don't... We you know, told you that you were incorrect, and now you just want to keep on with that definition. It matters because you won't subject yourself to any external standards like a dictionary definition. No, okay, so there's going to be variation between de- – I, I, you no, know, you, you will not subject yourself. It's an ego trip for you. It's, it's, it's not an ego trip. trip. It's this a trip is, other people is, up for this you. Is, 
pure logic, right? The no, starting, it's not starting pure logic. If start... you reject definitions, you are not being logical. Now, you can oh. choose to redefine things if you want, but you've got to be upfront. You've got to say, I'm redefining this to be the opposite, and you've got to make a point. really strong case, <laughs> which you didn't do. That's what, that's what I'm doing at this point, right? No, now you're because... stuck in the wolf mammal thing, which you still haven't addressed. I think I did. Uh, well, I, I thought I did. <laughs> well, again, the logic part is compulsory. The definition part is arbitrary all the time. Anytime we work with, uh, you know, I have had my training in math, so I, I know the importance of definition and, and logical and logical uh, the logical structure of your conclusions. Right? I know definitions arbitrary. You can call it's just labels. They're they're just an internal mechanism for you to label something. That that's all it is. Whether now. Now that now that I see a dictionary definition, if if I knew this by if I knew this by memorization, just by rote memory, I would have said, okay, let me. I'm going to redefine it as such. I I didn't see like. Um, but you don't. But I, so I'm I'm kind of thinking too much, like as far as object, because you'd have to look at that too and make sure that they were mutually exclusive, right? So, so that's the thing. It might not be logically consistent what the de- the dictionary. You're assuming that the dictionary definition is going to be logically consistent, right? It would be logically consistent if objective, the di- the the definition for objective would actually show that subjective cannot be is mutually exclusive from objective, not just from declaration, right? Uh, and I don't want to get into the what the dictionary says. I, I I didn't. That's that's not the purpose for an. That's not the the goal of an honest debate, right? The debate shouldn't be hung up on a definition, right? It 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 should be arbitrarily adopted by whoever, whoever's uh, logically, um, whoever whoever has logical integrity. I can adopt whatever definition you want. The consequences, if if it doesn't make sense, then I can call your definition set. That that's it's like called like proof by contradiction. You can define, you can define contradiction contradict. Uh, contra- you know, contradictory terms, and if they contradict, something's wrong with your definition set, and then you can you've essentially proven them quote unquote wrong. So if you were to uh, suspend the dictionary, uh, the online dictionary definition, uh, adopt mine for a second, and see if you can force me to um, a contradiction, then you've won the game. You see, I'm I'm playing by the same game you want to play, but you're not. You, you don't want. To just set the starting pieces, right? You, you don't want to choose who's what piece in Monopoly. <laughs> it's it's like the arbitrary part. Like, oh, I want to be the symbol. Who cares, right? Just I just wait. Want to are you thing. are you accusing me of being arbitrary? You saying all the definitions are arbitrary and you're throwing away the standard definition no, of the word because it doesn't fit your thesis? My, but you're accusing me of being arbitrary. My God, you've got <laughs> some balls. I mean, they're they're no, not real, I'm, but they're I'm, certainly big. I'm claiming when you when you start a debate. The definition starting point, the initial conditions of definite the definitions, it's arbitrary. All all that's important is that both parties agree to it, right? I mean, now if my if my if my definition set was was somehow logically inconsistent, you can force me to a contradiction. But you even haven't even heard my definition yet, or or okay, at least go ahead. Let, let's. I, I I will uh, I will follow you down this this path. Uh, so go go ahead. I accept I accept that subjective is a is a subset of objective. So go ahead. 
Okay, just so, uh, and I, and I claim, and I define subjective as anything determined by the mind, right? So, and I define objective as anything to do with an object, right? That that's kind of like the common sense, uh, you know, the the suffix if objective it has relating to an, an object in reality or something. That's what I think a dictionary would say, but I obviously I could be wrong. So, <laughs> sorry, subjective is anything determined by the mind, and objective is what? Anything referring to an object in reality, which your mind is a part of. Your your mind is to to make a materialistic argument. It's just no, a, no, 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 no. Don't start going making materialistic goddamn arguments. <laughs> <laughs> right? Just give me a second to absorb. Right? You got to slow down. I'm you know like I'm three years old. Right? Because I'm sorry. I'm just excited that we've gotten this far now. <laughs> okay. So uh, uh, subjective is anything determined by the mind. Mm-hmm. An objective is anything referring to an object in reality. Yes. Okay, but um, the mind can refer to an object in reality, right? Yes, that that too. So your and so it wait. So is your opinion, is color? Your opinion. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Is color subjective or objective? You mean the the perce- the the sensory perception of the individual? That yeah, because it refers to an object in reality which would seem to yes, put it the, in the objective the, the category, but it's determined to some degree by the mind, the sensory, and therefore... The sensory perception triggered by the actual light is subjective. It's, what is sensory it, perception? But again, it's, 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 okay. it's, it's objective. So color is subjective. Yes, and, and no... Even though, hang on, even though color refers to an object in reality... No, you are referring to the sensory perception of the individual, the chemical process of what happens when the light hits the optic nerve. Sets off a but where does the light come from? The light comes from an object in reality. Yes, it's reflected off an object in reality. So that's, that's so, the light. So color, itself. sorry, hang on, slow down. So color is referring to an object in reality. I am not sure what you're referring to when you say color. Are you referring to the sensory perception of the individual, the chemical processes that are triggered after the light hits the optic nerve? Or are you referring to the light itself? Okay, let's, let's take this nice and easy. You and I are standing in a field, right? Yeah. I see... A white cloud, and I say, "Oh, look, a white cloud." Yes. Now I'm referring to something that is in reality, the cloud. Mm-hmm. So, it would. You said objective is anything referring to an object in reality. So yes. when I say a white cloud, yes, I'm referring to an object in reality. So that would seem to be objective. However, you're saying that it's determined by the mind and therefore is subjective. So can it be both subjective and objective at the same time? You'd, you'd have now what are you referring to you actually you, are you now when someone says something like that the the truth value depends on how you're interpreting it right are you are you no 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 no, no. fuck <laughs> forget all that no, shit. it's important because i'm looking you if no you and i are standing in a field i go over it again we're let standing make, in a field let, let, i know i know i understand let me make okay. let me make let me make the distinction the opinion of some of an object is not the object itself right just like the drawing of a dog is not a dog it's a drawing. It's a drawing of a dog. Okay. So, all your sensory perceptions, all the images created in your mind from light, from your from your senses of light, is not the object itself. Right? The image. Okay. Of, let's let's, let's, image let's the, break it down. Let's break it down one more one more. Okay. I can close my eyes. In fact, I'll do it right now. I'm going to close my eyes mm-hmm. and I'm going to imagine a white cloud in the sky. Okay. Now I see that in my mind's eye. That's a, yeah, that, that'll be a subjective object, right? Because that's determined by the mind, right? Yes. 
I open my eyes. I'm looking at a white cloud in the sky. I am now looking at an object in reality rather than something in my mind's eye. You are perceiving an image in your head. You're... Is there a difference between when my yeah, eyes are yes. open and my eyes are closed? There's, there's a difference between the actual cloud and what you're, what you're actually perceiving in your head. No, no. When I close my eyes and imagine a cloud, I'm not referring to an external cloud. When I open my eyes and look at a cloud in the sky, I am looking at an object in reality. Your eyes are pointed to the cloud, but the image in your head is I get, something I get that. I get totally that. Different. But am I referring, with my eyes open and I see a cloud, am I referring to an object in reality in a way that I'm not when my eyes are closed yes. or when I'm just dreaming of a cloud? Yes. Um, you're kind of breaking up. Is my audio okay? Yeah. Okay. So your opinion is different from the actual object, right? You have an opinion of that cloud. It's I didn't say not, anything about an opinion. I didn't say whether I like it or not. No, but you're, you're making a true statement. Or you're expressing your, your, your opinion of what you think the cloud is. Right? When you say, oh, I like, uh, the cloud is white, that's your opinion. It's not the actual, it's not, it might not be the actual truth value or not my, my, my actual. So, wait, 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 hang on. Weren't you earlier arguing that you could get to the truth of people's opinions? And now you're saying you can't because it's just my opinion? Wait, no, no, that's totally. Uh, so uh, first of all, I'm, I'm saying the subjective theory value is bullcrap because your opinion. No, 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 forget the subjective reality. theory value. Earlier on, you were saying when I said that there's subjective, you said, well, well, you can find out the truth about someone's subjective experience, right? Yeah, it's an object that you could theoretically, if you, you know, you could theoretically find a truth, uh, you could make a truth statement about Right. I, I can okay, say so hang on. So I'm a little confused now because you say that objective is anything referring to an object in reality. And now when I tell you I've opened my eyes and I'm looking at a white cloud, are you saying that, that, that you can't refer to an object in reality? Um, I think you misstated my definition. Just No, no, I, I typed it in directly as you said it. Anything referring to an object in reality. Yes. Subjective is determined by the mind. Anything determined by the mind. Objective is anything referring to an object in reality. That was your specific definition that you told me about 10 minutes ago. I might have misspoke. Um, objective has to do... I, I'm not saying an actual mind referring to an object. I, I'm what? talking about maybe a truth statement. Uh, it's kind of getting a little like like a little abstract where... Uh, <laughs> you think? <laughs> so a statement, a statement about an object... Wait... Yeah, it, objective has so objective relates to statements. Trying no, to wait. Statements are with statements are with in the mind. But that's a subset of objective reality. <laughs> but I, I there's, there's okay. Some, so hang on. So we're we're are we we're scrapping your definition of objective as anything referring to an object in reality, and we're going to go with something else, right? Not, not referring to, having to do with. What? Having to do with. <laughs> what does with that mean? What, what, what difference does that make? Because I'm, I'm, going, to use, I'm going to use the term re refer uh, with opinion. And that, that kind of has loaded, it, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of attached to opinion. Refer, uh, referring. That's what I'm going to. I'm going to actually use that word, and, and I want to make a distinct. I, I, it should make no difference, but 
I know it's going to uh, come into play because referring to – I'm going to use refer when it comes to opinion because an opinion refers to an object. Okay. Can you just – I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Can you just give me the definition of objective that you objective want to use? Objective is having to do with an object in reality. Having – okay. Hand to do with – Okay, so objective is having to do with an object in reality. Yes. Okay, can you give me an example? You and I are standing in a in a field. Well, I think we're standing in a cloud philosophically, but let's in, we're standing in a field, yeah. and there's a white cloud overhead. Mm-hmm. Objectively, how do a white I make an, how do I make an objective statement about the cloud? How do you make an objective? Well. Again, if if you accept my definition, all your statements are objective by default because it's a subset of objective, right? But how can you make you mean how do you can you make a true statement about the cloud? Dude, I'm don't ask me. You're making a definition of objective. You no, said subjective. You're, you're is that, hang on, let me finish my sentence. Subjective is that determined by the mind. Yes. Which is okay. again, which is a subset of objective. So that that too is objective. Because it's a separate object. Your your mind and what goes on in your mind are separate objects. Your mind and what goes on in your mind are separate objects. Now I need to know what your definition of object. Maybe maybe it would be better if you draw a Venn diagram. No, I think maybe it would be better if you were consistent. Because so when your your opinion it's 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 like object oriented programming, right? Uh, no, it's not like object-oriented program because that requires rational consistency. Let, no, let's try it again. It is. <laughs> okay. You and I are standing in a field. We're looking at a cloud. Okay. Objectively, there's a white cloud overhead. Let's yep. Say that. So like from an omniscient perspective, like some omniscient God, just allow that term. Wait, for- are we bringing a God in now? <laughs> I know. I know it's a loaded term, but... You know, I'm just trying to say that. I mean, how many, there's a, how many things am I supposed white to swallow? How many sideways fish bones am I supposed to swallow here in order to give you an argument? That's objective, too. No, I'm just joking. Um, okay, so objectively, okay, there's a white cloud. That's all I'm trying to say, you know. Okay, objectively, okay. there's a white cloud. So if I say there is a white cloud. Okay, now, now you're saying, you're claiming, you're making a claim that there's a white cloud overhead. Right. Is that right? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. And go. you see the white cloud. And I see the white cloud, okay. And we have a drone flying around it, and we can bounce lasers off it and see the white cloud, whatever it is that you need to determine the objective existence of the white cloud, right? Sure, there's evidence to the, the existence of that cloud being white. It, it, is, okay. it is established as existing as anything can be established as existing, right? To the and best if I of our say, technology, yeah. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. If I say that's a white cloud, that's is your that opinion. a subjective statement or an objective statement? Remember, it's both. It's a subset of objective, right? So the fact that you've made that statement, I can refer to that statement too. I okay, say, let's hey, go. Hey, let's go back. Let's go back. Let, let's let's try another example. You got, are, are you distinguishing because, because you're just the, saying that they're the same, right? But no, you're not no, proving you anything. Dis- you you got to make the distinction. I know you know the distinction between an opinion and the actual object it's referring to, right? The the opinion and the actual object it's referring to are two distinct objects. Mm-hmm. Let, let's let's switch our location to a desert, and this will clarify things a lot. Okay, so you and I, Brian, we're we're standing in a desert, and we're looking over the dunes. Uh, we're looking at Sting having some tea, <laughs> and we are looking over the dunes. Mm-hmm. And I say, I see a lake. 
And you say, I see a mirage. It only looks like a lake. It is just the light waves bouncing between differently heated layers of air or whatever it is, right? Okay, so when I say I see a lake, I am drawing a conclusion based on my sense data. Now, you who have almost exactly the same sense data but know about mirages and maybe know there's no lake there or whatever, you just came from there or something, you are saying that is not a lake, that is a mirage. Uh you said it in a different way the first time. You said, I see a mirage. Uh, did you say, I see a I know you said, I see a lake. Yeah, I see a mirage. Well, yeah, e- either way is fine. No. Right, so, or you no, could no, say that, to me, Steph, actually, you see a mirage. You're, you're mistakenly interpreting it as a lake, but you are, in fact, seeing a mirage. Okay, there's a distinct, there should be a distinction between these two statements. I see a lake there, right, versus there is a lake there. Uh, if the okay. guy's not, a, if the guy's let, not, let's a, say, let's say I say there is a lake there. Okay. Is that an erroneous statement? Don't know. Right. No, no. You just walked from there. There's no lake there. That's again my opinion of it. It's I'm your sure. opinion that there was no lake there when you walked there. Do you think there was a lake there, but you, <laughs> you. Drowned in it, but didn't notice. <laughs> You're a zombie full of water who thinks the, there's the no thing lake. Is, I mean, where are we here in the story? The, the thing is, it seems like so to analyze things objectively, you kind of have no, to, no, no. Come on, to, man, just simplify to, it a little bit. We have to teach philosophy to five-year-olds, otherwise we can't no, hold them morally the, responsible. The thing, so decomplicate things. There's no lake there. If I say there's a lake got, there because I see the mirage, so, am I right or wrong? The thing is you have to detach yourself from perspective when you talk about things objectively. So objectively... No, you're begging the question. We're trying to figure out what is objective. You can't say when you speak objectively because you, you, we're trying you to figure that out. You haven't given the objective conditions of, of that hypothesis, right? You have to tell me, is there a lake or there objectively or not first? I did. I've told you that three times. Now. No, you said I went there and, and I, I, I think there's no lake. I don't want to have to get this technical, but th- I have to, right? You have to objectively okay. say first, okay, there's a lake there, or there's not a lake. There's not a okay. lake, right? There's no lake there. There's no lake there, objectively. And now, I say there's a lake there, and you say it's a mirage. So forget what I say. Now that I know that objectively there's no lake there, right. and you say there's a lake there, the, your opinion is, is false, right? Objectively false. Okay, so I'm incorrect. Yes, you're incorrect at that point. Fantastic. Beautiful. So I have a subjective belief... Yes. That there's a lake there when there isn't a lake there. Yes, yes. Now, it is subjective because I'm wrong. No subjective things can be right. Because what's in my mind does not correspond to what is in reality. Of course. Yeah, well, subjective things can... Yes, yes, no, 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 we're getting there. We're getting there. It's beautiful. Angels are singing and... Sorry? you're, 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 You're adding a bunch of things to subjective that I didn't want to accept. So first off, you imply that subjective things are wrong. They can be either wrong or right, right? Depending on how, how specifically your statement, your specific, your statement is, right? The more specific okay, you want fine. to get. Can drop, I, I may be begging the question there too, so we'll drop that. Uh, and I'll accept that, and I apologize for that. So let's say that uh, if I withdraw that, then when I say there's a lake in the desert, I am incorrect. Yes, you're incorrect. The lake exists only as an error 
in my mind, not as an existent in reality. Yes, if if and if you actually see the lake in your head, that's a that's a different object, right? Well, it's not a lake in reality. No. I can't open a swimming pool that I'm but thinking I'm, of. I'm, I'm right? referring to your perception itself, not the, not what's actually out there. Right. Those are two different objects. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Now, if there is a lake there, and I say there's a lake, yes, that is a different relationship between what's in my mind and what's in reality, right? Yes, the truth value. Because yeah. I'm tr- I'm accurate in what I'm saying. I am actually describing something that is there rather than thinking something there which isn't there, right? Yes, yes. So 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 it can it can happen either way, right? You're you're objective. Of course, I can be right. Wrong or I can be wrong. I can make no sense at all, right? So so I can be right or I can be wrong. So if I say there's a lake then if there's no lake, I'm wrong. If I say there's a lake and there is a lake, then I'm correct, right? Yes. Okay. Is correct a subset of incorrect? No. It can't be, right? Yeah, they're mutually exclusive. Right. So if there's something that's in my mind that does not correspond to reality, Mm -hmm. it cannot be a subset of something that is in my mind that does correspond to reality. No, see, I we just I, said, I'm just saying I, exactly what you said no, in a different no, way. No, you're you're conf- you're using uh, what was the word you did you correspond? Did you, were you saying correspond? Correspond. That's that's a that's a reference, right? That's not that's not saying they're equal. When no, I give, let's let's take it again. No, no, you're complicating it again. Let's take it again. Uh, error cannot be a subset. Of non-error, right? Yes, they're complements of each other, so they're mutually exclusive. You can't mutually have mutually exclusive, right? Yes, right. Okay, so if I have a thought when I'm looking at that desert, that it's a lake, but there's no lake, that's an error, right? That's incorrect because the no. lake only exists okay. in my mind; it doesn't exist in reality. My my assumption that there's a lake in the desert when there's no lake in the desert is false, right? That's an incorrect the truth statement. Value. It's wrong. Your statements. We don't yeah. have to get truth. I'm wrong. Let's just keep it simple, right? But, but you're not. In, you're not incorrect. It's like it's like you're trying. What? To, you, you, no, no, no. I'm saying there's a lake. There's no lake there. I am incorrect, right? Your statement is incorrect. Okay, whatever. My statement is incorrect. Fine. Okay, so the statement there is a lake is incorrect, right? Yes. Because the lake only exists in my mind, not in reality. Yes. Okay. If I say there is a lake and there is a lake, my statement is correct. Yes. Okay. I just proved my point. Subjective cannot be a subset of objective. <laughs> no, I I doubt you did, but <laughs> um So it makes no because sense. subjective is determined by the mind, not what is referent to an object in reality. So if I say there's a lake, that's yes, something but, in my mind that is not referent to an oh, doesn't as you said does not have to do with an object in reality. And so if I if something if the lake is in my mind but not in reality, 
that cannot be a subset of the lake being in my mind and the lake being in reality because one is an error and the other one is not an error. And you said to me directly, error cannot be a subset of non-error. No, the, yeah, so subjective cannot be a subset of objective. Yeah, you're you're confusing the, you're confusing, uh, you're confusing the idea. With you the are question. awfully confident that I'm wrong. Yes. You have not listened to or processed my argument. You're just telling me I'm wrong without. I listening can jump to it because the uh, because of how sure I am. If you, if you're careful with your words, right? So the existence of the lake does not depend on your mind. I agreed. Your opinion of the lake depends on your mind. And that is subjective. That is different. Just because it does not match reality, they're, they're not the same thing anyways. So, it, it, by your definition, subjective just, is that which is determined by the mind. You're equating them just because one refers to the other. Right? I, can, I, can, I, can, I can point, you know, it's just a pointer. I mean, it's a reference, right? A pointer. It's, it's just it's, a pointer? Is that your argument? No, no. Is, no it, it's you're chasing ducks now with dogs? What are you talking about? Your opinion of what's there is, is incorrect. Is its own thing, right? Okay, I don't know what that means. That, but that is determined by your is, mind. Okay, your opinion, I'm, your opinion. I'm not going to explain it to you because you're not. You're just dead set against understanding this. But I, I explain this one more time to the audience when we move on to the next Are call of mind. Sure I really do appreciate the conversation. Me? <laughs> I'm going to explain it to the audience. Okay, and those of you watching the video, <laughs> this will make sense. Okay, so um, this hand, <laughs> blinky hand, is is the lake, right? When it's open, the lake is there. When it's closed, the lake is not there. This is me. I think there's a lake, there's no lake, right? Which means that something determined by the mind does not refer to something that is an object in reality, right? Which would be subjective. Now, if I think there is a lake and there is a lake there, then what is determined by the mind has accurately reflects the object in reality, in which case my statement is true. Now, if error cannot be a subset of non-error, then subjective, which is making a statement that is not true in reality, maybe only true to your own perspective, your own reference, cannot be a subset of statements that are true and accurate about reality. So uh, I'm going to move on to the next caller. I really do appreciate the work you had. It was an enjoyable uh, chat, and uh, I hope we'll uh, get to talk again sometime. Okay, I was, I just, let me just say that I thought you, uh, you started to conflate subjective and truth, right? So well, given that we hadn't even defined truth, I don't see how we get to conflate something. I did accept your uh, perspective, and I think I argued it very well. But uh, you disagreed. That's obviously your prerogative. But you can just redefine yourself as correct. So let's move on to the next <laughs> call. Of it. Thanks, for your call. Thanks, Steph. All right. Up next is William. William wrote in and said, "If your significant other begins to fail to meet your rational standards in a relationship, is it worth it to try and change them back?" What is the best way to go about doing this? And at what level of responsibility do we have in imposing rational standards on the ones we care deeply about? Or is this all too demanding slash controlling? That's from William. Hello. Hello, William. Hey, how's it going? going? Good. (laughs) Good for me, too. Did you want to add more to the, the statement of question? Um, I mean, other other than that, it applies like directly to a relationship I'm having right now. No, but I do. I would I would like to say before we start the conversation that as a student of philosophy for the past five years, um, reading lots of important uh, well, lots, of, lots of authors from Aristotle to Rand, you are by far my favorite philosopher. 
simply because your um, enthusiasm for philosophy and your, I guess, valor in um, standing up for morality and consistency and logic in the world is something that's incredibly inspiring uh, to me and I'm sure to hundreds of others. Also, considering your childhood background, which I completely uh, sympathetically and empathetically um, am sorry for, um, I think it's incredible where you've come from and where you are now. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate that. It's very, very kind. And I I accept your... um, Empathy. It's, you know, it's surprisingly rare. You know, I put a lot of empathy and, and care and concern out into this show. And, and it's really nice when the occasional person uh, shows up and, and expresses some sympathy for my history as well. So I, you know, good, good for you. It's a big hearted young man. And I really appreciate that. Well, we have to do our best to be sympathetic and empathetic with the people we care about and the people who are important. Right. All right. So you have some, it's a great, great question. And, um, mm-hmm. I just, I know it's, it's a, um, it's personal to, to you and your life. Is this uh, a girlfriend? Is this a family member? Is this a friend? Yeah, it's who, a girlfriend. Girlfriend. All right. I'm oh, sorry. You, cause you said you've been dating for a year, right? Five. I'm five sorry. years. No, sorry. I'm sorry. Five months. Five months. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Now we can we can take this one of two ways because you studied philosophy. So, you know, the one of two ways we can go empirical or we can go theoretical. And, and what I mean by that is, of course, is I can say, what are your standards and a gap analysis, right? What are your standards and where does she not meet them? And then we can look at those. The other thing we can do though, which I have a mild preference for, but it's your call. So you do what, what you think is best is to say, is it even possible to impose a rational standard on someone? Because I think that rationality has to be something that we want to pursue. Um, well, I would like to go with the former, but I, I actually kind of want to answer the, the, the latter, if that's okay. Okay, well, we, if we have time, we can go to the former too, but go ahead. So... Um, when I, when I mean impose, it's not like you can force someone to accept rationality or, or force someone to accept some sort of standard. But it's like, um, if you care about that person and you know these standards will make them happy, then is it important for us to like constantly try and get the, the person to meet those standards? But how can you get a person to meet a standard called rationality if rationality is internally generated? Like, um, like reminding them when they're not being rational. No, no, no. I, 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 look, sorry. I understand all of that. Mm -hmm. But what I mean is that like, if you want someone to, let's say someone, you know, is overweight or gaining weight or something, you want them to eat well, Mm -hmm. you can encourage them, of course, to, to change their diet habits or dietary habits or whatever. Yep. But... Either they're doing it because you're nagging them or they do it because they're committed to it and just needed a reminder or something, right? And so you're saying if I if I nag them and they do it, then it's not really their choice. It's more of they're doing well, it they're just to stop the nagging. Obeying. They're just all they're doing is like, fine, I'll be rational, just shut up, right? I mean wow. that's not the that's not 
the internalization of the value of rationality. Mm-hmm. And since rationality is something that needs you really need to commit to, I mean, you, you only eat three meals a day, but I hope people are rational more than three three times <laughs> yeah, a day, of right? Of course, of course. And so it has to be something that you're really committed to. So mm-hmm. to me, maybe a better analogy would be, can you impose an Olympic gold medal on someone? No, you can only encourage them to do it. Right, you can encourage them to do it, And nagging sure as hell isn't going to do it, right? Because the amount of commitment that you need to get a gold medal is so prodigious that if it's coming from someone else, you'll both be exhausted and suicidal long before you get to (laughs) the podium, right? So so do you think there's any way to, I guess, spark that that internal acceptance of reason or whatever whatever standard? If I... If I didn't have any idea about that, I don't know what the hell I've been doing for the last 10 years or 30 years of my life, really. So, yeah, I mean, I think there there are ways yeah. to, to spark people's desire to be rational. And you've listened to this show, so what, um, you know, hopefully this show has sparked a little bit of desire for you to be rational, along with your philosophy courses, of course. So what has worked for you? Not just for me, but from whoever has encouraged you to be more rational. Well, I mean, it was, it was more of a, uh, a childhood experience, as in, like, I saw that being anti-rational or being over-emotional um, led to problems in my life, and that being rational and using rationality in my life helped me solve those problems. <laughs> You know, that, I mean, that, that sort of it's, it's very, I just wanted to mention, William, it's extraordinarily unlikely biologically that I have an 18-year-old twin, given that I'm 48. I mean, that's a 30-year labor that we must obviously <laughs> apologize to our mother for. But that just <laughs> remarkable. Like, I couldn't have put my own experiences like, hey, I was full up, full it into the screeching German crazy face of irrationality. And it's like, well, let's not do that, <laughs> right? Whatever yeah. we do, whatever's not, not okay. do whatever's not working, that, you just, right? You just... Whatever's not working, you can go to the next thing, right? Do, yeah, do you the opposite. The I mean, I'm like the Seinfeld character, right? I'm just opposite so, George, right? I mean, so that's what my mom is doing. That's what my culture is doing. That's what my friends are doing. And it's really not working for them. So let's... Yeah, and so I, I know, I know for, or at least I know, uh, maybe maybe it's a different experience for other people, but I know for me that accepting rationality, accepting uh, the certain standards that I'm talking about in my life helped me solve my problems. Right. And so, right. It, so all you need to do with your girlfriend is give her a really bad childhood and a really good brain. What do you mean by that? I'm not, I'm not quite understanding that. Like well, I, it's, I'm, I'm tongue in cheek because if you look at what formulated your desire for rationality, <clears throat> I mean, I've seen your adverse childhood experience score. You did not have much fun when you were young, no. to put it mildly. And, for that, of course, my sympathies return back to you, William. But um, you had a bad childhood and a good brain. Mm-hmm. And that seems to have a lot to do with people who end up becoming quite rational. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, there's no one who hates a drunk more than a drunk's child. And some people drown that hatred in alcohol and follow down the same dismal path and other people say i'm never touching a drop of drink because i saw what it did to my dad i don't know what the difference is it might just be as simple as your iq your genetics your whatever right 
may just be how smart you are. And a lot of that seems to be kind of innate, not all of it, but a lot of it. And so if you look, if you want to reproduce the spark that lit your rocket ship, then it would be a bad childhood and a good brain. Right. So I know, I, I mean, I know she has the bad childhood, but I mean, from, from, from discussions outside of, of problems that are, um, like obviously deeply emotional or deeply troubling, our conversations can be pretty intellectual and pretty engaging. And, and I learn a lot actually. So I know, I know the brain is there too. Well, but the brain isn't just one thing, right? There's intelligence and there's wisdom, if I remember from my Dungeons and, Dar- <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons character sheet correctly. And those, there's, it, there's IQ and then there's EQ, right? IQ is, is just raw processing power for things like uh, language and logic and symbols and numbers and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, EQ uh, is your emotional intelligence, uh, your, your empathy, your capacity for self-protection, we, uh, uh, your capacity to negotiate and so on. Can we equate emotional um, intelligence to emotional maturity? Yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable proxy uh, okay. for it. I was just wondering. Yeah, no, I, but maturity sounds like, the problem I have with maturity is, is it's a word that's used both for bi- involuntary biological processes and highly willed emotional and intellectual processes. I mean, sorry, that's just in a minor quibble I have with the word. Like you can reach physical maturity and that just happens because you don't die. You know, if, you, if you're 12 or so, I guess it's a little younger now, if you're still breathing, you get puberty, right? But right, but like emotional it, maturity seems to be something that is much more willed, at least in the current culture, than it is involuntary. Right, but, um, you know, obviously, I'm not, I'm not equating my girlfriend to a child or anything, but if, if a, you know, a child is not at the emotional maturity to process emotional emotions in a rational way. Right. So well, isn't that, isn't that a semi yeah, I think emotional yeah. I think that the, the, the perspective of emotional intelligence that matters here is cost benefit. Mm-hmm. And that to me is really the, the the very essence of what is needed in philosophy, maturity, self knowledge, even in therapy and so on. It is the capacity to see down the road for the benefits of self-work, of self-knowledge, of philosophy over the flaming scimitar, scything, <laughs> lightning strikes and raining flaming pigs, uh, valley of the shadow of death that you have to go through to get there, right? And Absolutely. like we all, we all sort of understand this stuff intellectually uh, that the philosophy hurts a hell of a lot before it helps. And Absolutely. the more it's going to help, in the future, and the future can be years down the road, the more it's going to help in the future, the more it hurts in the present. And I think that this is why until we have more examples, right, uh, we, we need to show people the, the benefits of self-knowledge uh, through, you know, reasonableness, through moral courage, through um, intellectual rigor and all, all, all the good things and, and general happiness. We need to show people that because they need to see that there's something on the other, on the other side of that valley of the shallow shadow of, of flaming pigs and lightning bolts and Thor's hammer coming out of his ass and stuff like that. We need to wave, you know, and I said this at the beginning, uh, at the end, sorry, of, um, I think it was um, On Truth, The Tyranny of Illusion, where I talk about the village at the other side of the desert where people are setting up shop and, and the shop <laughs> yeah. called the future. And so 
I did not know when I first really began. I mean, I started learning about myself really at the age of sort of 16 or so, 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. And really began to delve into it when I was 18 or 19. And then it took a long time before I went into therapy, and then I took a long time in therapy. And during that process, I didn't see what was on the other side of it. I didn't. Um, It was, I mean, the only people I saw on the other side of it were like people really into Buddhism or, you know, people who were really into (laughs) the good news of God's work. Mysticism. uh, And yeah, mysticism. And, and, I mean, even my therapist was an out-and-out mystic who believed that monks could fly and i mean i was like well I, I don't know what's on the other side because it really was the road not traveled for me the intellectual heroes that i had as far as rationality went as far as iq went those intellectual heroes did not really pursue self-knowledge and those intellectual or those emotional or self-knowledge heroes that i had that did produce self-knowledge it never got philosophical Right, I mean, there's there's Jung disappearing up his own ass, studying Mandela's and killing his porters by tracks, pointlessly trekking through the jungles of of Africa and so on. I mean, they just they went very mystical. Oh yeah, there's plenty and, of self help books, but not a lot of those self help books are philosophical. Right. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Doctor Phil is religious. John Bradshaw is religious. Nathaniel Brandon wasn't. But um, Nathaniel Brandon didn't do much about childhood. He was big on sentence completions and so on, but he doesn't sort of do what I consider very important work to do, which is the internal family systems therapy stuff, the alter ego stuff, the stuff that, uh, you know, the, 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 the full-on ghost manner of prior personalities that infest our subjective experience. I mean, and so for, for me, at least, I did not know what was on the other side because I didn't know anyone who'd gone there. Murray Rothbard, really great economist. Did he really work that hard at self-knowledge, uh, no, confronting no. childhood demons, escaping culture? I don't think so. Whereas the other people who were able to, quote, individuate, they all seemed a little crazy to me. <laughs> like, I didn't want to end up. I want to be like that. I want to go that way. Well, I want to go that way. That, that it almost seems like the only people who are who, – um, I guess, approach their personal lives philosophically as well as academic endeavors are those people who have come from a life where they needed to appeal to rationality instead of anti-rationality. Right, but so often self-knowledge seems to be associated with anti-rationality. That to me was the great challenge. I couldn't, I did not want to give up the objectivity. I didn't want to give up the rationality. I didn't want to give up the, 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 the stuff that, that, got me going on anything to begin with i did not want to give up the scientific objective rationality but i also didn't want to give up the intense self-knowledge work now i think that's why this show has done over 100 million downloads and and why you're calling in and so on is that i can't obviously claim to be the only one but i'm the only one that i know who has gone through that LSD style waking dream, lucid dream, mental disintegration rebuilt by the ghostly hands of the future. I'm the only person that I know of who's gone through that self-knowledge process while hanging on like grim death to reason, science, objectivity, empiricism, rationality, and so on. In other words, it's kind of a Plato-Aristotle combo 
like a one-two combo thing. Because, I mean, Plato would write beautifully about certain kinds of interstates. You could, you could never imagine Aristotle writing something like the Symposium, which is the discussion of, of love. Um, so I, I've sort of tried to do the inner work that I got from Plato and the rationality that I got by keep synthesize, synthesize as much as possible the deep self-exploration at the same time with never letting go of rationality, empiricism, objectivity, and, and all that. Well, what I think so, an element, I'm sorry, what I think an no, element you, um, you bring to, to self-knowledge is the confront the confronting of your problems. Like a lot of people who go to therapy or read self-help books, what they get is, well, here's all the self-knowledge, here's what I know about myself, and here are the sources of my problem, but then don't go the next step of confronting that problem. You know what I mean? Well, like, yeah, like because I confronted, problem, is... I, I confronted problems with my with my parents by, you know, either ostracizing them or, you know, demanding an apology and a change in action, right? And that that led me um, or let me hold on to um, empiricism instead of. Um, I guess denying my problems or ignoring my problems with religion, mysticism, or whatever, or spirituality, or whatever. Right. There's an old phrase. It's a bad joke, and it's an old joke, which says, you know, everybody complains about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. And I think for me, and I, this was always frustrating to me, which was, okay, what's the, what's the effect? of self-knowledge like why 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 would you want to pursue it what's the effect of self-knowledge and a lot of times it would be like oh you know you're more peaceful you're less judgmental you're you know easier to easier going and and uh, you know you you enrich those around you and so on right and okay i mean nice but what if you're surrounded by jerks right yeah i mean <laughs> i mean how well, serene can you be if you're so and so for me it was like okay well if the purpose of not being racist is to not hang around with racists, right? I mean, yeah, try and change them into not being racist, but if they're just hell-bent and dug in and they're just going to be racist, then it wouldn't seem to me that the point of overcoming racism would be to continue to hang out with racists. In other words, if you fundamentally change your belief set, what is your relationship to those who now oppose your belief set? You know, if if you if you're giving up on sexism, then surely you should you know try and enlighten the people around you who were formerly compatible with your sexism. And now that you're against sexism, not just non-sexist but anti-sexist, what is your relationship to people who are hanging on to their rampant sexism, you know, or their racism or homophobia or you know whatever it is that that uh, is going on? Sorry, you going to say? Yeah, right. This is. Um... Like knowing racism is wrong does not equate getting rid of racism, and so therapy is is very good in identifying, um, like the the self knowledge, but it doesn't get rid of the problem. Like self knowledge is is great and it helps you understand things, but it doesn't get rid of the problem, doesn't solve the problem, it doesn't fix the problem in any way. Right. Yeah, and and I had Mike, if you can um, look up a couple of the quotes about marriage from people like Betty Friedan, Gloria Steinem, and so on, and Andrea Dworkin, God help us. But I grew up with feminists saying 
marriage is bad. Marriage is an ugly bourgeois institution. It's a kind of suburban concentration camp. It's a prison. And they had all of these horribly negative, hostile judgments about marriage. They didn't say at the end of these judgments, but you shouldn't get divorced. Right? Their, their, <laughs> goal, their goal was, I'm telling you this is terrible so you can get out. So you can go and divorce your chauvinistic man pig of a leave it to beaver husband who is really your oppressor and all heterosexual sex is rape and all marital sex is rape. And that the point was to get people to change, to get women to change their behavior, to divorce these guys, mm-hmm. to, to leave the marriage. And that's what I grew up with. I heard about this stuff. I saw the effects all around me of women's discontent being stoked and women leaving their husbands and then women becoming largely miserable. I mean, there's study after study seems to show like women home with the kids, they generally are, are happier. Trust and me, I see this in my weird... own personal life. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there is this, this, and I'm not, this is not true for all women. Ayn Rand never no, got, no, no. Uh, had kids and, and all. I mean, it's, but, but for a lot, it's an indicator. And it's this weird statistic about how now that women are working, I can't square this circle. It's just a by the by. But when women, um, were home with the kids in 1965. The average mom spent 10 hours a week on childcare. And I'm like, and the rest of the time you were what <laughs> exactly? I mean, and it's actually gone up now. I think it's like 16 or 17 hours for women, even women who are working, they're spending much more time on childcare than they used to. And now, of course, there were fewer labor saving devices and so on, and, and sugar need to be borrowed and chance needed to be had and so on but anyway well, there was, so there's a wave of independence i mean you didn't have to like it was more it was more socially acceptable for you to be out on your own being an independent woman than it was to take care of your child and now that paradigm has sort of shifted well and there's this terrible thing that happens when when a bunch of women start going to work is that it becomes less fun to be a stay-at-home mom when they're when everyone else is working yeah. And also, you know, this is this is also quite true that feminists wanted to get other women into the workforce because they didn't want to compete with men who had stay-at-home wives. Because when you have a stay-at-home wife, you know, you, you can work late, you can take business trips, your house is kept clean, you don't have as much to do in the evenings, you can really concentrate and focus on your work. And so it was really tough for feminists who didn't want to have kids to compete with men who had stay-at-home wives. So it was kind of like an undermining the opposition to convince their wives to go out mm-hmm. uh, into the workforce. Uh, I mean, so as much as I love a rant about um, feminism, and I really do, but um, I wanted to kind of get back to the, the main question. Well, I, I, we are sort of... Uh, uh, circling, uh, we are sort of circling that, and and I think that is important uh, because we're getting back to like, can you, how can you stimulate rational thought in other people? Mm-hmm. And that is a uh, a big a big challenge. So let me just, uh, oh, you know what? I'll, it, it, I'll it, the the second part of this is that when. When I first met her, she was more 
more rational, more mature than she is now. Wait, so that's what five I months would... ago she was more rational and more mature than she is now? Oh, or now she's it, more... No, 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 like five months ago when we first started, when we first started dating or more, we, we met, um, I would say about nine months ago, nine or eight months ago. But, um, in that time frame, when we were, when we were first meeting before we started, before, you know, I first asked her out, um, she at least seemed more intellectually engaging and mature. And then that kind of degraded, uh, like uh, about a month after we started dating. Hmm. That 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 was that was the original question. Like she started to not meet my rational standard standards, which by the, which the the two big rational standards that I have is one like emotional maturity, uh, like ration, emotional maturity or rationality, like the ability to take criticism, take um, truth as objective value, truth things like that, value reality, live in reality, and the want or the act of living a significant life. So not filling day-to-day conversations with like, you know, how's the weather and what are we going to eat for dinner and, and things like that, but real intellectual stimulating conversations. And not only that, but the acts that go along with that. So if we have a, right. if we have, if we have a conversation about the environment and then go out and do something about it, you know what I mean? And so those qualities were, were there pretty predominantly, at least I believe so, or at least it was presented to me this way. And that's that faded about a month after we started dating. All right. And what happened about a month after you started dating? So, look, some of this is like this, this is the complaints that men have, like, uh, you know, I, I married my wife. She cut her hair. Yeah. You know, I like long hair. And um, then we got married and she cut her hair. But, you know, women have the same complaints, too. You know, he used to be in shape, then we got married and he went to pot or whatever. So yeah, but this that is, seems a bit yeah. early a month after. But was there anything in particular that happened a month uh, after you guys got together? Um, not much that I can remember. I mean, when, when before we started dating, um, she was... Uh, so I'm gonna have to kind of explain like where the, how how our relationship came about. Sure. Is that okay? Um, so, um, I had moved to a, a new school, um, and I had met her, and I had, I was dating another girl. Um, I dated her for about like three months or so. Um, realized she wasn't what I was looking for and was going to dump her at this point. I was already dating. I'm sorry. I was already, I had already been having a lot of, um, stimulating conversations and a lot of good qualities coming out of, um, my current girlfriend. Um, and the week or like the day before I was supposed to break up with, um, my, my other girlfriend, me and my current girlfriend, got drunk and we got high and we ended up kissing and that, that, I mean, that was it. It was just, I mean, it was just kissing. And then wait, wait, so hang on, hang on. So your relationship started with cheating. Yes. Well, you say yes. Like, why would I even bring that up? No, I mean, I mean, it's obviously pretty relevant. I'm just like, it, it, it did start with that. 
So your relationship started with cheating. And so did you break up with your girlfriend, your old girlfriend the next day? Mm -hmm. And uh, as well, my current girlfriend was dating somebody long distance. What? Wait, your previous girlfriend was also cheating with you? No, no. My current girlfriend was dating somebody long distance. Oh, you were both cheating? Yeah. Okay. Not that that makes it or justifies. I'm just saying that that's what the... No, it makes it worse. (laughs) Okay. Right? Because then both people are... Now, did you break up with your previous girlfriend the next day or? Mm-hmm. And did you tell her? We, we actually we told her. We told them. Um, we told each of our um, our, our other people um, that like right after we did it. And um, and then, I, yeah, I explained to my girlfriend why I did that. And I took responsibility. It wasn't like I was trying to dart around it. Told her why. Right. So you said I slept with someone else. Yeah. Right. And did you guys drink a lot? Um, enough to be buzzed. Right. How often? Like how many drinks do we have? No. How, how often a week do you drink? Like two to three times a week. If we have alcohol. So two to three times a week you drink a couple of drinks? Drunk? What are we talking? Uh, usually just buzzed. And what so, about smoking? Um, well, if we have it, we, I guess, once or twice. It's not very often. Oh, once or twice in your relationship? Once or twice, um, if we have it in that week, but not very often. Like, if I always had it, I wouldn't be smoking it once or twice a week. But when I do have it, I smoke it once or twice a week. So you smoke once or twice a week, and what, three or four times a week you get buzzed? Yes, if I have it. Why do you do that? It's just, it's fun. Like it's, No, it's a, it's I think thinking experience. is fun. I think that uh, this sort of um, escape from the self that has to do with this kind of stuff. I don't know if you see my conversation with Gabor Mate, but this kind of uh, well, drinking okay. and, and drug I mean, use is not necessarily associated with, you know, it's I mean, fun. You haven't, I'd love you haven't to have fun without that. So you haven't, I mean, you never smoked, smoked, right? Like marijuana? No. Okay. So when you, so, so reality is, is certainly pretty great. Like I can have fun without smoking or drinking, but when you smoke or drink, it makes that situation more enhanced. You know what I mean? It's like, the no, difference I don't between, know what you mean. Cause I, as you just asked me, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like it's the difference between watching a movie and watching a movie in 3d. Like, you can have lots of fun watching a movie, but if you're watching a movie in 3D, it makes it better. And It's not like we can't have fun. When you started smoking weed and drinking? Uh, 13. 13. And what's it like for you if or when, I don't know if it's ever happened, but William, what's it like for you if you don't have access to these? Mind-altering substances. It's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. I thought you said it wasn't as good. Well, it's still a fun... I mean, life is still a fun experience without these things. It's just enhanced when you have these things. And what is the enhancement like? Is it like 5% better or 10% better? Um, drinking, I'd say like 20% better. Smoking, I'd say like 10% better. Like it's not. I, I'm not destitute for these things. I don't need these things. 
I could, I mean, tomorrow I could, I could just stop doing these things and I'd still have as much, not as much fun, but I'd have, I'm sure lots of fun in my life. Well, I mean, you wouldn't be doing something illegal with the, the, the uh, with the marijuana. Yeah, but, uh, illegal doesn't mean anything to me. Well, it should. Why? I don't mean it should mean something morally, because it's certainly not a perfect equation between morality and law. But uh, it's a little risky, right? I mean, it's risky, but it's not. It's. I mean, weed is so common; it's it's basically legal nowadays. It's. it's um, I think you can have up to an ounce and you can't even be arrested it's not much of a risk um so it's not illegal for you i mean it's illegal but it's not a risk you know what i mean like it's illegal to jaywalk but it's not that risky to jaywalk and how much money are you spending a week on this stuff um i wouldn't uh, we don't get it on a weekly basis but in I'd say in one month I'd spend like 80 on alcohol and in one month I'd spend maybe 40 on weed, but we don't buy it every month. I mean, or at least I don't buy it every month. It's like very rare that I ever get weed or, or, or smoke weed. And it's very rare. Sorry, I thought you said ever... it was once or twice a week. Maybe I mistook that. Yeah, I kept trying to tell you that it's it's only when we have it. Like if I have it, if I have it in my possession, then um, and I only get a little bit at a time, then I will smoke it like once or twice a week until it is gone. Okay. okay. And it's the same thing with alcohol. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And our relationship. But, I mean, we didn't start smoking and drinking together until a couple months um, after we met. And we were still being, and before that and after that, we were still able to have um, intellectual conversations, and there was still that level of maturity. Okay, so I'm just trying to figure really out. No, I appreciate this. So I'm, I'm just trying to figure out the timeline here. So it was about a month after you started sleeping together that the intellectual stuff diminished? We didn't I'm trying to think. Actually, yeah, it was about that. And how long was that after you met? Um let's see. Four months. Okay. So if it's four months after you met, and it was a couple of months after you met that wait, what was the relation you said you didn't do weed or drink for the first couple of months is that right yeah of knowing each other and were you and, and then you were you were drunk and high when you had sex for the first time right we didn't have sex we just kissed oh just kissed. sorry you did that, mention that, that. Um, yeah i did mention that yeah no that was my my fault sorry i forgot um and were you did you then continue to do drugs and drink during the first month that you were together as a couple no you didn't no and when did that start to pick up um february which was actually yeah february well no so you've been together five months and at the beginning you didn't drink and do drugs Mm -hmm. at what month did you start drinking and doing drugs uh the second month the end of the second month 
near the end of the second month. Yep. Okay. So she was already not having intellectual conversations. Before all that started. So a couple of weeks before you started drinking and doing drugs, she was not having intellectual conversations. She was having less. Less. So it was diminishing and then you started drinking and doing drugs. Yes. Okay. But very rarely or not that, that much. Like it wasn't a consistent thing. It wasn't weekly. It wasn't any of that. It was when we had it, maybe we had it for two weeks at a time. Um, and then in those time frames, it was like once or twice a week or drinking, I would say about two to three times a week. Now, if you could choose between drinking and drugs and having more intellectual conversations with your girlfriend, which would you choose? More intellectual conversations? Wait, are you asking me or telling me? Oh, I'm telling you. Sorry. Okay. Do you think that a drinking might interfere with intellectual conversations? For the moment, like while we're drinking, I don't think, I mean, it's never had, it's never impacted my ability to have rational conversations or intellectual conversations outside of drinking. No, no, no. I'm just talking like, but while you're drinking, right? Yeah, obviously. Obviously. Right. Okay. And what about uh, smoking weed? Actually, it tends to pick up more of them. Okay, so drinking might have something to do with why you're having fewer intellectual conversations. Again, I'm not saying all the time or whatever. That's yeah. one possibility. Just looking for as simple a set as possible. Sure. The second set, the second place that I would look for is where does rationality impact her relationships? In other words, let's say that she accepts. I don't think that you know, smoking weed and drinking and so on, and necessarily the highest plateau of, of a rational pursuit of self-interest and self-knowledge, but that's perhaps a topic for another time. But what if, if she accepts your standards of rationality, rational behavior, self-knowledge, and all that, what does that do to her relationships? Well, it forces her to confront things, and it forces her to... Um, Accept uh, things that she's always thought were maybe untrue. Like, um, you're talking about her relationship with herself. I asked about her relationship with others. No, that, I mean that's what I was referencing to. So, like, with her, um, like, with her mother or or her stepdad. Oh, okay. So it would be a challenge. Self knowledge would be a challenge to her relationships. Yeah, like I mean, I've con- I've I've confronted her about um, how, from the way her mom treated her in the past, that her mom might might not rationally love her, and that's a challenge. Right now, does she believe that this is a possibility, or is she rejecting your thesis or hypothesis? I should say. Um, she rejects it, but I mean, she hasn't like, it's not like an ended conversation. You know what I mean? Like she's not just outright telling me to stop having the conversation or she's no, interested, she's she interested you in it, you're but, incorrect, right? Yeah. But yeah, ultimately. Right. Right. Well, I mean, if 
rationality is going to lead her to difficulties in her relationships, then that's probably the biggest block. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, we I, all I, benefit. Most of us benefit from rationality. I mean, I've benefited enormously from rationality, but the people who were in my life when I was younger, well, I guess they benefited if they find me annoying, <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, uh, they, the, the relationships were, were not helped, so to speak, by rationality. Or to put it more accurately, the relationships came to a crossroads where they could have been helped or harmed. But ultimately, the acceptance of rationality in her relationships would improve her life. Has it improved yours? Absolutely. And does she see and accept that it's improved yours? I don't think she does. Well, then that's, that's the challenge, is that she doesn't see the benefit, right? Right, so how do I, I guess, I don't know, how do I get her to see the benefit? The benefit, sorry. And a paint on a big giant ass Joker grin. <laughs> Just never stop smiling. And for heaven's sakes, don't I, blink. I was thinking about it, but yeah. I mean, I, I would think my my early interest in things like economics and philosophy and my um, the pursuits I want to take in life, the things that I that I do in life, the way I um, act on my problems and how that's I, I don't know. I don't I don't know if that if she, if she sees that she has a. Um, I guess a complaint that I seem emotionally absent, as in I, I when I talk about things or when I approach things, it's like I'm I'm almost a robot. And what do you think of that? Well, I think that um, I think it's more important to react on rationality rather than emotion, as in. Hey, wait, wait, wait a second, Doctor Spock or Mister Spock. Um, why emotions? Why why are emotions irrational? Why are they irrational? Yeah, you said it's better to act on rationality rather than emotion, which is sort of an implied dichotomy. Because emotions are are very subjective. Like I can be angry about anything, or I can be sad about anything. Whereas rationality is something more objective. Like if an like if a child gets angry about something, we tell them to control their anger. That's like, I don't. Why not? Why? I mean, that's like if my child stubs her toe, do I tell her just to control her pain? Well, no, but you want to, I mean, it's more, isn't it more effective to act in your rationality rather than your emotions? Like, isn't it more, isn't it more, I guess, examining reality objectively than or acting on your emotions? I'm sorry. So, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I understand your question, William. Right. So if um, if somebody says if some, somebody says something to me that's emotionally um, distressing, like if some like okay, okay, like the example with my girlfriend, if I if someone tells me that my mother doesn't love me when I have a when I've always believed that, right? Well, but sorry, you haven't told her that. I assume that you've made the case, right? You evidence or whatever, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's not try and figure out your girlfriend. Let's say something you, right? Like you. So if someone tells you something or someone says something and you get angry. Yeah. It's it's better for me to act on 
my rationality and be objective in the situation rather than getting angry or emotionally defensive about it. Well, what you're saying is, aren't you saying it's better to lie? I'm not sure I follow this. Like if, if I say something that makes you angry, well, you might hope that you would say, I feel angry because that's being honest, isn't it? There's, There's a difference between saying you're angry and acting on anger. Like there's a difference between I'm angry and punching somebody in the face because I'm angry or denying well, everything they say. Of course there's a difference between that, right? I understand well, that, that, that. That's a difference I'm making. But your girlfriend is not complaining that you're you're punching her in the face. At least I hope to hell she's not complaining that you're punching her in the face. She's saying that you appear unemotional to her. Okay. Uh, right? So you're you're trying to slander emotions by saying they make you punch people in the face well they do no such thing but they will i mean if they they won't make her look at, at things as objectively no 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 you like, forget no not you okay okay not so her, what, you. Would, if, if i got does it make about, you punch people in the face do, do no, you if it, you feel angry no but it would make me look at things less objectively less rationally because i because if anger if you know anger controls me or whatever emotion controls me or takes over that it's but but no 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 see now you're and i i know you come from a dysfunctional family so i get that you would have this emotions mean acting out but emotions don't take you over now weak-willed and i'm not putting you in this category but but weak-willed and uh, self-indulgent people act out and then blame their emotions yes right but that's not rational, right? That's like me not getting off the couch and then blaming Brad Pitt for me not having abs. Okay. Right? So weak-willed and self-indulgent and immature and bullying and, and destructive and abusive and immature people lash out and then they pretend that their emotions made them do it. So they don't actually have to change anything they don't actually have to take responsibility for anything because you see it's their emotions that make them do it right well i mean i've gotten i mean i'm not trying to defer away from me again but i'm i've gotten that from her too where she's blamed what she said or what she does on like things like depression or anxiety or being drunk or things like that right and so self-ownership is a challenge for some right which we all, <clears throat> when we act badly, the first thing that just about everyone wants to do is to find a way that they're not responsible. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. Right? I mean, first thing you told me, I kissed her, we were drunk and stoned. Yeah, but it's still my responsibility, obviously. I'm just telling you what you told me, right? Okay. And so... Immature people, and self-indulgent to me is, is the real key. And again, I'm not putting you in this category at all, right? I'm, I'm just telling yeah, you my observations and, and possibly your experiences. <clears throat> but I really, <clears throat> I really dislike people who, who act out, who lash out, who don't intercept and, and are not honest with their emotions, but instead blame everyone, blame their emotions, blame other people, blame whoever, right? Right. Because they are, I mean, we get an immediate relief from pretending it wasn't our fault. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wasn't me. 
Well, I mean, but I it traps us. It traps us completely, right? And so, the, so my concern is that you've had a model where emotions get blamed for bad behavior, and therefore you say the best way to avoid bad behavior is to avoid emotions. Well, do, do I mean? Wouldn't you agree that emotions can clog your thinking, or clog your rationality, or clog your objectivity? I or cloud it. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I mean, don't I know. Honestly, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I've had some of my greatest ideas when I'm stink drunk with passion. You know, there are times where I felt perfectly calm, where I have good ideas. There are times when I've been very passionate and I've had great ideas. I mean, you've heard some of my rants. I don't think that I become a irrational person when I rant. I think that some really great ideas and arguments well, I mean, I'll give, you a, I'll give you a personal example. Um, when I was younger, and I was first, um, I guess, confronting my father about things, um, not even just confronting him about things, but just in in general conversations, because we used to have conversations about economics, um, I would get emotional to the point of tears. And this would, and, and when, I, when I left the conversation, I would get very angry about, him saying things or, or or whatever and this would this would not enable me to look at what he said objectively like it would it would no no but what would, i automatically hang look on, at hang on, hang on hang on negatively hang on let me make a case here because your emotions were telling you something about your father not about your father's argument and the most important thing is your relationship with your father not the debates you have with your father because the only reason you're having your debates with your father and not some guy on the bus is because he's your father it's the relationship with your father the fact that he is your father that defines everything else that is the bedrock the foundation for everything else that you do to interact with that person i mean i will be forever six million different things to my daughter but i'll always first and foremost be her father and that's why we have everything else because if she was a kid on the other side of town, I probably wouldn't even know her. And so when you had tears and anger, your emotions were being very important. They were giving you incredibly important information about this relationship. And I would argue they were being more objective and more uh, a more rational prioritization than, well, the important thing is I suppress my feelings and try to intellectually analyze my father's arguments. And I'll give you a, a very, very tiny example. Like I just had a conversation with the guy in the first hour and a half of this show, which uh, I found that enjoyable. Was, uh, but... was, I'm sorry, though, I have to say that was, um, that was hard to listen to. <laughs> well, I get it. <laughs> I want it to be hard to listen to. And you know why I want it to be hard to listen to? So, that people, so understand people know that. when to disengage. I knew from the very first moment we had that conversation, or at least within the first 30 seconds, that we weren't going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Because he told me that up front. Yep. Subjective is objective. I reject different dictionary definitions. I define whatever I want. <laughs> Everything's arbitrary. <laughs> right. Yeah, he was. He was. He, but, but first of all, I wanted to show, as, and he was right to ask. I wanted to show that you can accept people's definitions and still right, disprove them and whatever. But I want also people to know when 
a conversation is not possible. I never in a million years would have had that conversation with the guy if it was just he and I at a dinner table. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the point is, is there's a public aspect to these conversations, right? Yep. So the question with your emotions and your father was, was, can I even have a rational debate with my father? Now, you wanted to go into the rational analysis, but your emotions, I think, were saying or were giving you your deep, heartfelt opinion based upon close to two decades of experience with the man. Can I even have a rational debate with this man? Okay. I'm crying. I'm angry. That's important information to have about the relationship. Right. And that can be considered a valid emotion. Right. So, but if I, if I'm in a conversation and I have an invalid emotion, then that can clog my thinking. No, no. I, I thought you were giving me this as an example of an invalid emotion. Um, because I, I said, what do you mean it clogs your thinking? And you said, let me give you an example. If I remember rightly, you uh, said, okay, I'm right. having conversations with my dad, uh, debating economics, I'm crying, and afterwards I'm angry. And I'm giving you why I think those emotions are valid and important. And now you're saying you want to give me an example of invalid emotions, but I thought we were just doing that. No, I see what you're saying. Never mind. I don't want my daughter to suppress her emotions because I want to be close to her. I want to know what she's thinking and feeling. Mm. And if she's angry at me, I need to know that so that I can course correct, so that we can have a discussion about it. Right? I would no more tell her to suppress her feelings than I would tell her not to cough if she has a cough. It's important that I know she has a cough, right? So mm -hmm. we can do whatever, right? Fix it. Oh, well, you just kind of uh, blew my mind with some self-knowledge there, Stefan. Um, it's just a new perspective I haven't really seen. What do you feel about this perspective? I feel bad. Go on. Well, I feel like I've been, I mean, that's what I've been doing with my, I mean, with my girlfriend anyway. It's like, um. Like, I want, I want her to just be analytic, you know what I mean? Because that's that's easier for me to, to, to deal with than the emotions. And the, motion, the emotions to me seem frivolous or, or like, non-important. Oh, I no. I, I and I know, listen, man, uh, I, I know you're trying to be honest, but I'm telling you, I've read your Adverse Childhood Experience score. It's huge. Don't well, tell I me that, that emotions seem relevant, irrelevant or frivolous. Emotions, weren't they dangerous when you were growing up? Yes. Oh, right. No, I see what you're saying. I mean, if I get repeatedly mauled by tigers and I say, well, you know, tigers are just boring and irrelevant, people will get that that's not really my true experience. Tigers are terrifying. Well, you definitely give me something to think about. And you want her to love you, right? Absolutely. And is love an emotion? Yes, but it has reasons behind it. 
I get it. So there can be reasons behind emotions and you want the expression of that emotion in terms of love, right? Mm-hmm. So you would not want her to suppress her emotion called love, right? Right. Do you think that it's possible? Let me rephrase this. Do you think there's such a thing as a painkiller that only affects a tiny part of your body? Of course not, but I think uh, it could be invented, obviously. Right, but there isn't one now, right? Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I know what you're saying. Do you think that there's a way of suppressing emotion that only suppresses some emotions? No. And by the way, I know people are going to say, what about Novocaine? (laughs) (laughs) I get it. Yeah, local injections, I got it. I'm talking about like a... a, um, like a oral morphine-based painkiller or whatever, right? It's it's going to affect your whole system, right? And I don't think that there's a way to say, I want to suppress these emotions, but not these emotions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll be really surprised, William, when you listen back to this, as I hope you will, at the degree to which you say, I have blown your mind, and your vocal inflection has not changed at all. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because I'm still trying to react off of rationality rather than emotion. Right, which is an irrational thing when I've just convinced you of the value of emotion. Right, but it's it's a little hard to uh, kind of just switch like that. You know what I mean? Like, I mean... Obviously, I've spent I've spent most of my childhood on um, trying to go off of rationality. And I sort of trained myself to to just shut down my emotions when confronted with a problem or a debate or a discussion. But why? And I appreciate that. But why do you think it was your choice to shut off your emotions? Why because there's one thing. Choice? Yeah. Well how, well, how do you know that that was your choice? Well, because if I'm in a discussion and I feel emotional, I can... No, 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 but you're saying if you've suppressed your emotions for a long time, right? Yeah. How do you know that that was your choice? So how, what age were you, do you think, when you began to suppress your emotions? Probably eight. Right, so how do you know that was your choice? Um, well, I mean, I, I, I remember um, specifically having one fight with my with my father and coming back um, pretty upset. Um, and I was like, well, this is not, it, it was more like, well, I can't see him cry type thing. Uh, sorry. I can't Wait, let him see who me can't cry. See you cry. You don't want him to see you cry. Right. Right. Thing. And I wanted to be able to be intellectual enough to. That's not your choice. Have, have, no, that, that one for sure is not your choice then. So it's, because it's not, no, what would you what you much rather would have had is for your father to be empathetic and either not cause you to cry, or if he did cause you to cry, to be extremely apologetic and to comfort you and to have a conversation where you figure out what happened so it wouldn't happen again. You'd much have preferred that, right? Of course. So the repression of emotion is because it is inconvenient to the other person. 
for you to have that emotion. Not because you made a decision to repress your emotion because it's less rational. Mm-hmm. Because there's one thing that I know about emotionally self-indulgent people, histrionic people, hysterical people, people who act out, is that they really hate little more in this world than inconvenient emotions on the part of others. Right. If you have feelings that are inconvenient to other people and they are immature, they will really work to get you to suppress those feelings. Not because you or they value rationality, it's just that they don't want feelings that are inconvenient to them. Is is that what I'm doing with my girlfriend? Like, trying to suppress her emotions because they're inconvenient to me? I don't know, because we haven't talked much about your girlfriend's emotionality. But we can say, I think, that if you're looking to increase the rationality in your relationship, Mm -hmm. then I would say that your relationship to your emotions would be the first place to start, not your girlfriend's relationship to rationality. Okay. That makes sense. Hmm. Well, again, you're giving me a lot to think about. Don't think about it. (laughs) I think that's not the best thing coming from uh, from you right because i don't want you to think about it i mean obviously i want you to process it right like yeah and understand the value nathaniel brandon is is good with this stuff if you want to read the psychology of self-esteem or some of his other stuff he's pretty good with the value of emotions and i get it i mean it's emotions are inconvenient there they can be difficult and so on but uh, i think without them it's a continual slow spiral into less and less feeling. As a friend of mine said years ago, and years past where you are, he said, I think I have not felt for so long, I literally feel like I'm turning to stone. Well, I'm I actually, turning into a statue. I actually... Um... I told my girlfriend about two months ago that I felt that I had an empathy problem. Like understanding and processing other people's emotions or really just feeling emotions when I, when it makes sense to. Right. You keep your emotions on a tight leash. You only allow the convenient ones, but it is through empathy is an emotional experience every human being looks at another human being and says oh that person is like me (laughs) right but to actually feel what other people feel is an emotional experience and i think that love without empathy is not sustainable and you can call it lust or you can call it you know the the initial rush of endorphins that come from a romantic or sexual attachment but long-lasting love is is not possible without empathy i believe and empathy is not possible without self-empathy which is knowing what you feel and respecting and valuing what you feel. And if you treat the way you treat other people's emotions is the way you treat your own emotions, because we can't have those. We we don't fundamentally work on those kinds of double standards. And so if your emotions go through this rigid checkpoint, you know, like this Gestapo, show me your papers, find out if you're convenient, (laughs) find out if you're acceptable and uh, I'll need to give you an anal probe, Mr. Anger, (laughs) then uh, um, don't do that to Mr. Lust. He loves it. But, um, (laughs) 
if you've got this kind of border checkpoint, then you know nobody has a passport. Nobody gets like nobody has a. Everyone has to stop, and uh, it's very rigid and it's very hard for other people to be spontaneously emotional around you because your extent your your defenses extend to them. And then people start to feel, after a while, claustrophobic, and they feel resentful, and they feel they can't be themselves around you because spontaneity and 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 pleasure and uh, you know just just uh, um, the immediate exposition of feeling and honesty and so on. This is all very self censorious. It's very. Uh, no right of free speech, no right of free feels, right? I mean, and I think people then, this is why a lot of relationships, they start off with this spark and people mistake the sexual attraction for emotion. It's not. It's not. Uh, almost every animal that copulates, oh, well, every animal that copulates feels sexual attraction, but that's not the same as mature, philosophical, deep self-knowledge-based love and appreciation of another human being and their virtues, right? I mean, if yeah, I'm right... That's why, that's why yeah, always... If I'm right that, that love is uh, love is our involuntary response to virtue, if we're virtuous, then virtue is the prerequisite for love and mere animal attraction, which is not to say it's not fun, it is, but people mistake the animal attraction for emotion, but then when that begins to fade, as it does four to six months into a relationship, the, the sexual attraction begins to fade, which doesn't mean that your sexual desire, but the mere physical sexual attraction begins to fade. And then what happens is people feel this emptiness growing. They feel this, um, something's not right, we're not quite simpatico, and then they start to maybe talk about it, and then this repression comes in, and and then they feel bound up and they feel silenced and they they say well why can i talk with other people but not my boyfriend or my girlfriend mm -hmm. and then they start to feel resentful and then they try to maybe talk about it more they hit more defenses and then they start to feel really silenced and then next thing you know they're like i just fell out of love it's like no you ran out of hormones it's a different <laughs> phenomenon you just mistook the hormones for the love well and that's so why, i'm sorry that's um, that's why i've always tried in my um before having a relationship with somebody, identifying, or if, if I feel love for that person, identifying, or I should say lust, sorry, if I feel lust for somebody, identifying which, virtue, which virtues or which values um, in that person that I, that, I, that I value, and whether or not they're holding true to those values, which was true for my current girlfriend. It just seemed, I mean, uh, maybe, again, the um, problem with the emotions is my fault, but it seems that the qualities that I fell in love with are not as prevalent anymore for whatever reason. Right. And the challenge with empathy, William, is to ask yourself this. What are the qualities that she was first attracted to that I'm not showing as much of anymore? Mm -hmm. Were you more emotionally available at the beginning? Were you more passionate? Were you passionate at all? <laughs> right? I mean... Have, yeah. have have things changed for her in you over the past couple of months? Yeah. And what do you think? Well, I mean, I'd have to, I guess, discuss that with her. But what do you think? Uh -oh. I'm not saying be right. I'm just saying if if you had to answer now, what do you think? I don't 
I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think that I've, I've changed that much fundamentally as a person. No, no, like no. That's way. that's. Oh man, you're good. <laughs> don't touch me. I, I'm not saying have you changed from a reptile lord into a human being. I'm not talking. Have you grown an extra arm or anything like that? What? If, okay, let me ask you this. You know, you've been very passionless in our conversation, right? Yeah. Were you this passionless when you were drunk and stoned and kissing her? No. Were you like, okay, well, I guess we can kiss. Uh, no. Would that be all right with you? Is that okay? <laughs> no. How would that have worked, right? It wouldn't have. Right. So were you passionate when you first got together with her? Yeah. Are you that passionate now? No. So she probably was attracted to you for your passion and you're diminished in that capacity now. So what, uh, I, I understand that. So what is the, or what, what, do, what do you think the cause is? Because I'm, I'm blanking on it. Like why have, have I diminished or why have she, she diminished? Because you got together while having affairs. I mean, that's the symptom. The cause is childhood and self-knowledge and all that kind of stuff and all that. But I'll tell you this. I mean, what do you think a virtuous and heroic woman would have said to you if you'd said, hey, I'm drunk and I'm stoned and I'm in a relationship. Would you like to kiss? What would she say? No. God, no. I'm insulted that you asked. <laughs> True. What kind of girl do you think I am? <laughs> right? Yeah. So where is this virtue? Isn't that kind of an important aspect? She's in, long, she's in a long-distance relationship. You're in a relationship. You're drunk, you're stoned, and you make out. Yeah. Where's all the virtue that we're talking about here? Well, it was... Uh... It was before that. I mean, we were still, I would, at least I was still attracted to her before that moment for different reasons. I didn't try and kiss her or try to do anything because. No, no, no. See, oh God. Of course you were attracted. To, I'm not saying your attraction came out of nowhere. She took off her glasses, <laughs> shook no, out I mean, her like hair. She had, and next she had virtue you know. before. She had virtue-ish, virtuous qualities beforehand. And did those virtuous qualities include cheating on her boyfriend with a guy who was cheating on his girlfriend? No, that was an effect of, obviously, our decisions. So there were other virtues independent of her betrayal of her boyfriend combined with your betrayal of your girlfriend while you were drunk and stoned? Well, the, I mean, the cheating wasn't, wasn't virtuous, obviously. But it was, it was a, something I was able to, to, to overlook for the virtuous qualities sh she was presenting to me. Has she told you, she has told you that you're emotionally unavailable, right? Yes. And have you believed her? Yeah, well, yes, because I, I mean, I didn't see the point in, I guess, being emotionally available. Hmm? I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand that. So she said, I, William, you're emotionally unavailable, and what did you say? Well, I, I agreed with her, but I, I said that, um, like the emotions were not were were unnecessary for the 
or or more like if she came to me with a problem and was um emotional about it i was like i tried to get her to um look at it in some sort of a rational way i wasn't like um i wasn't i wasn't like trying to to identify the emotions i was trying to identify the problem and how to solve it you know what i mean right so it so wasn't like i was do you do you love her yes and is that love emotionally expressed uh, in how you interact with her yeah i mean when i mean um outside of 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 important conversations i'm pretty emotionally um there or active or it's only when we it's only when we're in a in a, a sort of important or intellectual discussion that i become more rational than more emotional because at that point it's I, I I I looked at it as it was more efficient to be rational than be emotional. Okay, so when she says that you're emotionally unavailable, she says that only when you're talking about important things, and the other times she finds you emotionally available. She only brings up the the fact that I like seem like a robot or whatever when um, we're having to, we're having important discussions. Because I don't, I don't try to verify her emotions. Validate. Validate. Sorry. Validate. Yeah, I thought that's what you meant. Okay. And what what are the other virtues that you perceived in her prior to getting together with her? Uh, well, she was very, um, I guess, caring of animals, empathetic to animals. She was. We both have, uh, or at least I have, I have a very strong appreciation for nature and animals and she showed that similar appreciation so i thought that was very good and she was very um like good at i guess i you know listening to me when i had a problem which now seems hypocritical um but she was again i guess she was very empathetic towards me and um towards other people she's very she's a very caring person like if somebody has a problem she's one of the first people on the scene to try and help somebody with it or help, you know, I guess in a more emotional way, but help that, help that person. And so she, she values and, emotional intimacy, but not, uh, I mean, but she's willing to be with a man who she describes as not emotionally available when there are problems. That would seem like it, but um, that's not all. She was also very open-minded. And again, when we had discussions, it was very intellectual and I value intellect highly. Right. What, would you characterize her kissing you when she had a boyfriend and you had a girlfriend as being empathetic towards her boyfriend or your girlfriend? No. Right. But it's what like, do you think it, well, I think it's, um, well, here's all these situations in which she presents empathy and, and then there's here's this one situation, which is, is still her responsibility, but is also influenced by, you know, drugs and alcohol. In which, in which, um, she displayed a lack of empathy. And so, so when like, she's drunk or stoned, she displays displays a lack of empathy. 
I would say so. And does she know that this is something that happens when she gets drunk or stoned, that she, that she loses her empathy? Well, I mean, it's not like every time. I mean, um, like if we're with people, she can show empathy towards those people. But I mean, if we're just alone, it's not usually that way. No, she lacks the empathy. Like if we're, I think I follow that. I think okay. I follow that. Okay, so she values empathy, but not in in her boyfriend because she's willing to keep dating you, even though she says you are emotionally unavailable or lack empathy. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not that much of a valuing if you're willing to be with someone who doesn't have those characteristics. Like, yep. and I'm not putting you in this category. This is just a, obviously an intellectual example. But yep. if I say, well, I'm really against racism, and then I date a racist. It's hard to say that I'm really against racism, right? Yeah. So it's hard for me to sort of figure out how much she values empathy if you got together through a kind of brutal act of betraying your existing lovers. But I don't know and if she... And then I, she dates I, you, even though she says you don't really have much empathy or lack emotional availability. I don't, I don't know, she, know the degree to which she really has the virtue, if that makes sense. I don't know if she values empathy in me. I know... I don't... I don't like I don't that's... no 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 if it's a virtue you have to value it universally otherwise it's not a virtue it's an aesthetic preference right like so if I value moral courage then I value moral courage and I despise its absence if it's possible for it to be present right mm-hmm. so I can't say well I really value universally value moral courage but I really want to date a moral coward well then I don't universally value moral courage Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So her so commitment to empathy is... as a principle, which is virtue is a principle. Virtue isn't like I'm a good shoulder for people to cry on or people like to come to me with their problems or I'm a good listener or whatever. Those are not virtues. The virtue of you know honesty or, or moral courage or whatever it is, these are universals. And the degree to which she's willing to date someone who does not display what you call a virtue in her is the degree to which she does not have that virtue as a principle. Okay. So she doesn't have that, that virtue as a principle then? I don't see how she could. If, she, if the foundation of her relationship was a betrayal of that principle and... If she's willing to be with a guy who she calls emotionally, I don't think she called you unempathetic, but I think she did say emotional, uh, emotionally unavailable. Emotionally and, and you absent, say that you think yeah. Yeah. emotionally absent. Yeah. And you think that you may have an issue with empathy, right? Yeah. Right. In fact, I know. So, it. sorry. Right. Right. So, so then she doesn't have that as a value. Okay. And also, of course, the way that you get people who lack empathy to become more empathetic is not by criticizing them, criticizing them for their lack of empathy. Like, as you notice, I haven't criticized you at all for any of these things that you've told me about, right? Yeah. Because I, she knows about your childhood, right? Uh, yeah. Well, and I mean, so I she knows that. Huge detail. I'm sorry? She knows, like, the general, but not, like, the, the whole thing. What do you mean by the whole thing? Like, I haven't gotten into details about certain situations. But uh, you have an adverse childhood experience of eight, 
We've got verbal abuse threats, physical abuse, non-spanking, molestation, sex, rape, no family love or support, neglect, not enough food, dirty clothes, no protection or medical treatment, parents divorced, live with alcoholic or drug user, household member depressed, mentally ill, or suicide attempt. So you well, had it horribly rough. Yeah, but I mean, as a um, as a teenager, I I dealt with all those. Pro- I mean, I, de- I dealt with all those problems as I saw um, how they negatively affected me. Like if I had a if I had again a problem with my father and we couldn't come, we didn't we didn't come to an agreement. I ostracized him, and I you know I realized the uh, the. Um, like I, I didn't need to be like emotionally dependent on my father or, or you know things like that. Like how my um, childhood negatively affected me, I sort of confronted and figured out and fixed as a problem. And, and all the problems that I haven't identified, such as the empathy one, um, I would I mean eventually work to, to fix. I, I've been wanting to go to therapy for some time now, but I don't have the money. Would you like some help? Take some help. I would, I would love some help. Good, <laughs> good. I mean, uh, you know, I, uh, I would love to, uh, you know, get get a therapist and and send us the bills or send us uh, how much it's going to cost, and we'll front you some money for some therapy. God, I mean, you've Seriously? gone through the wars, man. Holy crap! I mean, you've had one of the, I mean, one of the top ten god awful childhoods. You know, this is like the David Letterman list from hell, right? One of the top ten god awful childhoods we've seen in this show i mean we would love to front or i would love to front you some cash for for therapy you, you i mean god you you're such a smart guy and your language skills are great and you you love philosophy and uh uh and so i mean i would consider it a real honor to be able to help you out in this way that would be incredible i mean i'd be so thankful for that that'd be I mean, I don't. I wouldn't even know. I don't know how to express in words how thankful I am for something like that. That's I would. I wasn't even expecting that out of this at all. Oh, listen, it's it's a it's a great investment in the future of the world. You know, when you see I a mean, talented I, athlete, you try and get him a good coach, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I well, I've never really seen myself that way. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I've never really seen myself as like this super important dude or whatever. Or Do you want to remind me what you're studying? Uh, <laughs> doing your Aristotle, you're doing your philosophy, and you mean, yes. Yeah. Um, you are a remarkable young man. And given that you have gone against my advice in ostracizing family members without being in therapy, at least we can get you into therapy now, right? Yeah. All right. So, Good. <laughs> Is it a done deal? Do we do we do a virtual handshake I, here? I would love to, Stefan. If I could only shake right. your hand, that'd be great. Again, you're one of my. I mean, from study, I've studied a lot of philosophers. You're definitely my favorite. Well, I, I appreciate that, and uh, we'll we'll get you in to see a good counselor. Um, podcast nineteen twenty nine. I think it is, Mike. If you can check. I just asked Dwayne this last week, but I can't remember. How to find a great therapist. It's not any kind of absolute. It's just my suggestions or my thoughts about it and, you know, find someone you feel comfortable with. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 1927 should be 1927. 
1927. Yeah. Right before the crash. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just listen to that. And again, this is just my thoughts, whoever you feel comfortable with, uh, and, uh, we'll, we'll get you set up and, uh, get you funded and get you on your way. Cause, uh, listen, I mean, if you can connect that bruised heart to that mighty brain, I mean, you'll be an unstoppable force in the world, I think. That would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, I've I've wanted to pursue philosophy. My goal is to be a philosopher, so I don't. But um, well, the self knowledge thing I think helps you stand out. So I really, really appreciate the call, and I'm so god awfully sorry about everything that happened in your childhood, William. I mean, this is a hell of a fiery nest to come vaulting out of. Um, but uh, you have certainly kept your intellect intact, which is no easy feat. And uh, your heart, I'm sure, is still bubbling there under the surface, waiting to get plugged back in to the mind. And I think a therapist will do great stuff for you that way. So um, I'm glad that you decided to accept the help. Just let us know and we'll we'll set you up. And uh, you'll obviously I hope keep us posted about how things are going. Well, thank you very much, Stefan. Um You've given me, I mean, you gave me uh, a talk that I wasn't expecting at all, and definitely a lot of things to feel and act on. Ah, Um, Good man. There's um, a listener. You made uh, up for the first caller. (laughs) But I I do, I mean, I I know we didn't get to to do it, or we're not going to be able to do it uh, on this show, but I do have some objections to your moral theory, so I think it will be an interesting conversation if we ever have another call-in show. Um, oh, listen, you are welcome that. back anytime and uh, uh, bring bring your best uh, bring your best stuff. I mean, <laughs> the worst that can happen is bad. It's errors fall away. And I'm always happy to participate yeah. in that process, no matter where it comes from. Well, again, thank you very much. And again, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing to talk to you. And it's amazing where you've gotten in life with such a troubled childhood. And that's incredibly inspiring to me and hundreds of others. So I hope you continue to do what you're doing for the next, you know, good, I guess, 60 years. Speaking of which, <laughs> right, I think that would make me older than <laughs> I can even think of. But yeah, thanks very much, William. Keep us, yeah. keep us posted. We'll get you set up. And yes, to help out the show, freedomainradio.com slash donate. Um, it does come down to shackles. You know, we are in the business of, of helping people, and that requires that you uh, help us. So, you know, if you've been listening to these shows for a while, do you really need another game from Steam or lunch out or whatever? Sign up for 20 bucks a month. You know it's the right thing to do. You know that philosophy is what the world needs the most of now. So um, go to freedomainradio.com slash donate and help us out. And we will continue to do this great work for the world. So have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.